Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that asks you to pass the turkey and the tex Maxim as we celebrate everything we are thankful for. And we are th- here are thankful for you listeners. Thank you for listening. I am Addicted, and I have with me, as always... Metal Frill, also known as Game Boy Guru. And we have a guest with us for this episode... So, welcome, Rena, to the podcast. Hey, hey, that's me. Glad to have you. For better or worse. <laughs> oh, I definitely hope for the better. and Glad to have you with us. Of course. Yeah, if you'd like to connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can also follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Uh, check out all the podcast feeds at our Linktree page linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast Also, please join rfgeneration.com and join us in a Shmup Club playthrough. If you would, also please subscribe, rate, like, review, etc. Whatever applies on your podcast platform of choice. You can also join the RF Generation Discord channel, which is linked from the front page of RF Generation and uh, join us there for Shmup Club stuff, podcast talk, shooting game talk in general, and all the fun and frivolity that we have there. And as well, uh, I stream the Shmup Club game of the month on Twitch multiple times throughout the month, so you can check that out by following me at twitch.tv slash guru gameboy. Yeah, and I also have to mention the RF Generation database. There, I mean, you just find stuff that you won't find anywhere else. There, I just recently added my collection of Donkey Kong NFTs, and there's no other collection website that even comes close for that. There, or, or you know, all my Deep Space Waifu DLC, 
just all sorts of stuff in there, especially that that Brazilian character. Really hard to get. So make sure to log in your collection and take a look. And there's forums there, and there is always playing the guess the screenshot game, all types of stuff. But you know, if you if you happen to have a bunch of useless DLC like I do, it's a great way to catalog it. So my question is, when are we going to get Tex Mexium NFTs? Soon. <laughs> I'm ready to invest in Taco JPEGs. There you go. I'd do it. Uh, alrighty. Well, let's kick things off with our question of the month, which I threw out on Twitter and Discord. Um, and that was, what game did you initially think was too difficult or unapproachable, then later realized you were wrong about it? And right off the bat, we had uh, Drake Tungsten, who chimed in and said, That's a tough question, because something would have to convince me to revisit it, so not many games could fall in that category. I guess the original Link's Awakening did that to me. I didn't figure something out and ended up cheating my way through it, but on later replays, it was fine. Possibly American McGee's Alice, too. Yeah, I kind of feel that way about Link's Awakening, because before I sort of became a Legend of Zelda fan, I bought that game when I first got my Game Boy Color, and I hadn't really got into the whole adventure game uh, thing yet, and so I played it for a while, thought it was fun, but I couldn't figure out what to do, and so I eventually abandoned it and figured... Oh, I'll come back to this later. And then didn't for over a decade. <laughs> yeah, I actually had the, almost the identical experience. It's one of my favorite Zelda games now, but back when I was a child, I was uh, I was a I was a big stupid idiot. Uh, and <laughs> nothing could save me from my own idiocy. And for some reason, I could not get past the, uh, the like opening force and I just never got anywhere in that game. Yeah, same. But now that I can get somewhere in that game, it's like one of my favorite uh, Zelda games. Really good. Yeah, and of course, years later, I played through it, and then I bought the Switch remake and played through that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was exciting. It's weird. I wish those two games were like... I wish there was like a definitive version out of those two games, because they're both fun. Yep. But they're like both just a little weird and quirky in their own ways. It's pretty sad. Our next comment comes to us from at Rodark1. Let me answer this way. What is Fatal Fury? A Neo Geo EAS, but the problem is it's still hard even after I realized it, how hard it was. Yeah, the Fatal Fury games are... Uh, <laughs> they're, they're not kind, but uh, they're still a lot of fun to play uh, i think uh fatal real about fatal fury is probably one of my favorites on there a lot of people probably say mark of the wolves but definitely a good series and it can kick <laughs> kick your butt like gradius 3 mm. <laughs> i'm i'm partial to fatal fury special myself not for any of the fatal fury games they're pretty good honestly there there's some there's some classic games but I think they still work. 
Um, our, our next response comes to us from at Pony Trigon. Hmm. I'm going to give it to Pokemon Yellow. When I was younger, I could never figure out how to beat Brock. When I got older, I figured out a great strategy, curb stop Brock, and was able to actually play the game. You know, congratulations to you. I think that perseverance in learning new in, in games like this is pretty hard to do. And if any character needs to be curb stomp in the Pokemon universe, it's got to be Brock. <laughs> True. I actually kind of had the opposite experience with the Gen 1 games. I'm going to be real. Or honestly, with Pokemon as a whole. As a kid, I thought they were like, all right. But then like the moment I touched an SMT game, like at any point within my teenager years, it was over for Pokemon. It was never happening again. I could never do it. I'm not sure Pikachu could compete with Death Metal, but... (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. Well, BB jumped right in and said, Death Smiles, or Tyrannosatan to be specific. Once I realized how many bombs you can bring into that fight, it made it a lot easier. Yes, that is uh, a strategy that I used, (laughs) which we'll get into. Uh, SPM says, I had the impression about Raiden 5. That's not Raiden 5, that's Raiden 4. (laughs) I had the impression about Raiden 4 before playing it, or any Raiden-like game, that it was surprisingly easy, relatively speaking, after putting the effort clear Raiden 1. I I wish I could agree. I played Raiden game once, and I never wanted to play Raiden game ever again. <laughs> Maybe I should come back to it. I know they aren't bad. I know I'm just stubborn, but man, <laughs> something about the enemies getting all up in my face was just like not happening for me. Yeah, Raiden for what? <laughs> I actually liked it. I should say I like Jet first, but that's Raiden Fighters Jet, even though it wasn't a riding game. But Raiden 4 is definitely well done, but I swear it's becoming like Street Fighter 2, where they've released at least 16 different ports, and I swear half of them are on the Switch. But it's good to see that they're starting to branch out again, and they're going with Raiden 3, because I don't think... We can stay in any more uh, ports of Raiden 5 at this point. Moss needs to do something different on here. And I appreciate that they went out with uh, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. But that's, you know, uh, shame breaking is not the way to uh, go forward, in my opinion. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Or it could just get a new game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be cool. Ride in, ride in you six. Just make a new game. What would ride in six be about? Would it be coffee first, or would it be crystal meth? Or I'm sorry, crystals. <laughs> Family friendly podcast, huh? Well, we, sometimes, sometimes something slips out. I would, you know, uh, I should have gone with Walter White, but that's all right. <laughs> I mean, that means I get slip ups, which is good because deep down, I'm a sailor. Bear78 said Returnal and Bloodborne. Once I get over the humps, though, both were fantastic. And Bear mentioned on Discord uh, that I might enjoy Returnal, so I might have to check that out. I need to check out Bloodborne. Because I keep hearing how amazing it is. And I know for a fact that once I play it, I'm going to agree 
Like, once I get, like, over the hump of getting used to the controls and everything, I know that once that happens, I'm going to really enjoy the game. I know it's going to be super fun. And I know I'm just being stubborn. But man. I, man. <laughs> I cannot get myself to get up and just play that game. Why? Well, because I'm an idiot, of course. But, you know. The Born games and the Elden Ring games stuff there. It sort of reminds me of that paperclip from Office. You know, the, the one that everyone seems to love to hate. Just saying out there, it seems you're a masochist. Would you like to try Elden Ring? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I've, I get that recommendation unironically all the time. Oh, I, I mean, I'm certain we're going to hear from the um, Dark Souls cast. I mean, the collectors cast on this with their opinion. But, but I, I definitely did enjoy those. Bloodborne was a little more parry heavy than a lot of the. Uh, you know, roll to win that I found with the other Soul series. I need to go back and play some Demon Souls. But those are definitely ones that are pretty intimidating to new players. In the way that, you know, you sort of set somebody down in front of a, uh, maybe let's say the newest Toho game, and they're, you're going to get a lot of Hi. <laughs> a lot of work time fun questions coming immediately, and not just from the bullet patterns. But still, it's... Uh, one of those things that does seem very intimidating at first. It's Kula Six says this is going to sound dumb, but new Super Luigi U. Now I've heard that this game is difficult, and I know it has a reputation. So I will say that I still have to try this. But from everything I've heard, this is definitely an intimidating game. Yeah, I don't think that sounds dumb at all because it takes the Mario formula and ramps it up where your time your timelines are extremely limited so you really have to book it through those stages so it it really I love it, it almost turns mario into what you think a sonic game should be meaning you got to go <laughs> fast i love how the discourse around a super new luigi u has changed so much at first, it was like, oh, shit, they just released Super Mario Bros. U and they slapped Luigi in there. Oh, I can't believe this. What a cash grab. To like, oh, hey, this is the the actual, the only good version of Super Mario Bros. U. What a, what a glow up. What a glow up. I'm so proud of you, new Super Luigi now, U. And honestly, I'm inclined to agree. I, I take issue with that because I quite liked new Super Mario Bros. U, but I understand how people think that way. No, I like New Super Mario Bros. U as well. I just think New Super Luigi U is infinitely better. Fair. It... Like, New Super Mario Bros. U is like, it's like really delicious, like, toast. It's, it's very delicious toast. It's well-made toast. It's very good. You, you have a good time eating it. But it doesn't really do anything crazy, but you still have a good time with it. It's still very delicious. And it's all well and good. But New Super Luigi U is like a hit or miss, like spicy sriracha. <laughs> it does some it does some stuff. It it likes to play around with some weird stuff. And it's not for everyone. But uh, you know, if you come to like come 
you come for that specific taste, you'll you'll get exactly what you want. Interesting analogy. I want toast. <laughs> I want toast too. <laughs> Uh, need new shorts says gonna say habroxia looks so gradius like and gradius is so tough i was apprehensive but surprisingly it's doable even for me made my way through that first one eventually got pretty frustrated at the second one but i was able even able to beat that so yeah habroxia for the win guys what's habroxia it's uh an indie shmup from a few ah. years ago and oh, um, okay, that kind of came out with not that much fanfare. And I want to say the first one was considered by the larger shmup community, if you will, to be a little bit on the easy side, um, you know, but a solid foundation. The sequel actually got a physical release through um, Play Asia. Uh, Both did. What two oh, years ago? Yeah. yeah. Abroxia came out for the Vita, Vita only. Abroxia 2 came out for the Vita and for the PS4. The PlayStation 4, yeah. Yeah, like, that's all right. Oh, I nice. hate to be the one that goes technically, but yeah. Actually. No, you can go technically. <laughs> I'm going to be going actually this entire uh, podcast. Don't oh, worry. Uh, if you're look, <laughs> looking to play it, I think both of them show up on this, the eShop, the Switch eShop for like $3 a piece right. pretty regularly, so you should be able to grab them both here. Yeah. And, and I did buy the Habraxia 2 PS4 release, so I do want to cover at least that at some point, if not both. So, might be one of those that we do two at one time. Uh, Blur STG said, "Definitely Garega. That game will beat your butt, chew you up, and spit you out. But once you learn about controlling the rank, it becomes far more manageable." I still don't find uh, Garega manageable, but good on you, Blur <laughs> STG. <laughs> oh, I see. Superior human being. I get that. Yeah, I mean, even super easy mode. I did not find super easy. Um, yeah, even super easy mode took me a little bit to to get through. Whereas super easy on Ketsui, I beat on my f- first or second try. And um, you know, most of the most of the simple novice modes, like Mushi novice mode, I, I I've said before. I think I beat that on my third try. So, Garega's super easy mode certainly was not on the same level. It was a little bit harder. For me, anyway. Oh, man. I've, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten a few. Uh, I've gotten a Katsui clear, I think. I think I've gotten a Katsui clear. I feel like I have to have at some point. Well. It's, it's a pretty fun clear to get. I refuse to play that game seriously, however, because I don't hate myself, <laughs> unlike some people in the shoot-em-up community. <laughs> Crazy, I know. 
Uh, but now that that's that's the actual shmup that I recommend to fellow masochists. That's the actual one. <laughs> I don't think I could recommend any other one, honestly. That game is ridiculous if you want to actually like play it well. I, yeah. I, I swear that we're t- inventing like a new term here. Add this into the sh- shmup dictionary here. Uh, Dan Don masochistic. Uh. Ah, that's me. That's a that's that's me for sure. I mean, why else do I play Mushi? <laughs> yeah. Don Makuman Retro says, "Final Blaster for the PC Engine. First three stages aren't too hard, but from there it becomes a different beast. But I learned to use the Charge Phoenix Beam wisely and ch- change the game from brutal to methodical. As a result, it's much more fun." Yeah, Final Blaster is definitely one that I want to try. I mean, uh, the masochist in me says yes, yes, yes. So maybe uh, 2023. Ah, fellow masochists, we love to see it. Yeah, that's one I've toyed with a little bit, but I haven't really put much time into. One of these days I'll get around to playing it, though I don't know when. (laughs) It feels like something I'd enjoy. Rico Chingo says Returnal. Another vote for Returnal. I realize I don't know what Returnal is either. I feel like I've heard that name. I feel like I definitely do know in the back of my mind. And I'll definitely know once you tell me what it is. I think it's a third person action game that's on Yes. And, uh, it is. You know, yeah, yeah re- etc. It's made by Housemark, and it's a, um, I think it's a proce- not pro- pro- yeah, procedure-generated video game on there. It's one of the PS5, the current PS5 exclusives, but I know it's going to come over to PC pretty soon. I think that was the next one to come. Oh. Oh, I know where Eternal is. That game's so hard. <laughs> that game is s- silly hard. <laughs> But it's really cool. It's a really, really cool game. Corkman says, probably any bullet hell game. I thought if I can't handle old games with a few bullets, how can I ever deal with that many bullets? I realize the bullets are slower and have all clear patterns, plus your ship is usually faster and is a much smaller hitbox. Yeah. Yep. That's the one. (laughs) That's the trap that everyone falls into for their, uh... I don't want to say unknown reasons because it, it feels like obvious to me, but I know it's probably normal for other people. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe it's just ingrained so hard into my head that it like doesn't even register as something like that's abnormal. Some of it may be for older guys like Addicted and myself, older players who grew up playing the traditional stuff where it's fast aimed bullets and stuff like that. So then when you get into Danmaku style games where you just have these giant waves of bullets, it can be very intimidating. Mm. Um, uh, you and- know, I, Dr. Danmaku, how I learned to stop worrying and embrace the hitbox. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> like that. The future is now, old man. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, uh... 
Maybe I, I, I just think it's obvious because I bullet hell is the shmup that I grew up on. I grew up on your dodon patches and stuff, so it's like not even a second thought to me. It's like, oh yeah, of course the hitbox is like two pixels wide. Yeah, how else would you dodge everything? Right. And then I go, then I go back to play something like something normal, and I'm like, oh my god, what's going on? Why are you like this? Yes, back in the uh, the olden days when. Hitboxes were the size of your sprite. <laughs> Terrifying. I would never. Or in order to meet it's excellent, the size of a small house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, ShmupDB says, Pro Gear, Fast Striker, and Graze Counter. Probably some others, but these spring to mind. Pro Gear, I still find... Bad collection. Very intimidating. Uh, program's not that terrifying, surely. I don't know. I mean, it's one of the easier ones, I'd say. Really? I haven't. I have not had a crazy amount of trouble with Pro Gear uh, when I've played it. I haven't like dived. I haven't like deep dived into it or anything. But of what I did play, it wasn't too horrendous. I didn't have too much trouble with it. It was pretty fun though. Uh, I I grew to love Pro Gear a little bit. I actually ended up getting it with the, uh, with the, like, Capcom Arcade Collection, I think it's oh, called. Oh, right, the Capcom but, uh, they put Pro Gear on Arcade there. Stadium? Yeah. Yeah, they put Pro Gear on there, and that was how I got to play uh, Pro Gear, yep. which was very fun. Pro Gear is the first cave uh, horizontal SDG, so. And, it's yep. true. And the game we'll be talking about in just a little bit is the second one, so. Zazan Zeni. Ikaruga. The patterns are not sadistic, but when you understand the ins and outs of the polarity system, actually. Yeah, Ikaruga was one that was, was always surprised me. It, I don't would say uh, intimidated me personally until I, I saw somebody trying to control both player one and player two ships at once. <laughs> oh. oh yes, oh. Ikaruga dual plays. Oh. Crazy. It's like taking that uh, you know, I'm the captain now <laughs> from so long, and then that old meme from so long ago. But the throwing that in there, what was the one with the had like six ships stacked on top of each other as a meme? And it says a great man can captain many ships. Oh. That's how I feel about someone doing two-player in Ikaruga. Yep. God, I don't even know why someone would do that to themselves. Maybe that's the real masochism all along. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I think that's there's a special place for reserve for people who unironically play Rock On for the PC Engine. Hmm. Yes. Which I will make us play one month. It'll probably just be me playing. Not everyone there, but... But but I will find a way for us to play it. Maybe the month of of December. I respect that grind. Actually, can we please just get another cave game? Please, I'm begging. That's all I know. We'll just have to do a Kasoge episode, and uh, you can cover Rock On, be my guest. Oh, yeah. Rock On is broken in so many ways. It's beautiful. 
from the, I even want to know. Well, it's got it, the uh, intro for the story. If you look up the intro on there, you'll have to look. I can't say some of the words, but it starts with "Dearly Beloved" for the uh, <laughs> story, <laughs> and the you can actually power up your ship. It's too fast for anyone to handle realistically, and just zips across the screen. Your hitbox is so huge; it's a complete mess. It's a lovely, lovely, beautiful turd. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of game. Yeah, it's uh, it's the opposite of a fine wine, <laughs> but in a fun way. Oh, there we go, right there. We got another idea for a shmup song. If you like Kusoge. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, nice. Pina Colada. All right, I expect that for our next episode. Oh, my. All right, Hausu says, Garega for sure. I mean, it's still super hard, but it feels less impossible now. I'm going to be real. If you think Battle Garega at any stage in your life is an easy game... You're lying, uh, both to me and yourself, <laughs> and you need to stop lying. <laughs> it's really rude. <laughs> Itrem88 says, Shmup, Gradius 3, Super Nintendo, or Super Famicom, and yeah, I can see how that might be a little intimidating, especially if you played the arcade version first. Yeah. He but, said, and goes on to say, non-Shmup, Demon Souls. Yeah. <laughs> Demon Souls is one of the things that people I remember when people were talking about before it became stateside. Oh, this game is really hard, but it's for the hardcore. Everyone should try it, but be careful. And it, reputation alone turned people off before it really came, came stateside or west side. And now it's funny to think people are just, oh yeah, it's difficult, but that's fine. We can do it. Mm. Yeah. See how much the attitude has changed and what it's been. Well, when did they come out? Was that 07? The original one? Yeah, it was, it was earlier than that, was it? No, no, 07 seems that about right. That sounds about right. It was PS3, I think. Mm. So, yeah, it was PS3. So that's not, yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe 07, 08. But, geez, it's already been over 10 years. Yep. I feel old for feeling old. <laughs> Yeah, Gradius 3, I definitely see, though, because even having not played the arcade version really much before that, when I first played Gradius 3, even just that first desert stage, I found to be difficult to manage. But once you sort of get a rhythm with it, it really isn't that bad. It's just sort of knowing how best to approach that first stage and then you just kind of just kind of roll with it uh, closing us out is Duke Togo from Collector Cast who says Hellfire it's a trick to wrap your head around the weapon changing but a cool game and that one's a little weird at first to switch between the forward fire, reverse fire, top and bottom of your ship, or the four-way diagonal. But, you know, it's neat. 
Honestly, sounds kind of fun. Then again, I'm also coming from a Tohu 11 background, so I could be lying to everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tohu 11 got the same thing going on with uh, Marissa and Patchouli. Once you get used to that shot type, it's so good, it's so fun. And it's, I think it's the one I got the, the clear on. But it does take like a hot minute. <laughs> it takes some deliberate grinding, which is not fun, I'll, I'll admit. It's not fun. <laughs> Well, Hellfire is a unique case because depending upon what Genesis version you, or what version of the Genesis, Genesis, whatever, uh, Genesis you have <laughs> on there, it, it can be behave totally different because the sound chip had changed, which actually makes the game slower, if I remember correctly. Not only that, there's a uh, Super CD-ROM-ROM version of the game that has a interesting anime cutscene and, uh, <clears throat> you know, you got your Red Book audio and stuff in it. That one plays a little bit different as well. Then you have the arcade version. It's one that would be a good to cover all the ports if we decided to use it for shoot the core cast. Definitely, it's one that I want to I want to explore at some point. Maybe once um, maybe once we get some ports of that, you know, the arcade ports. Oh, I thought arcade archives had done that. No, um, it should be forthcoming at some point through uh, Bitwave on PC and probably M2 on console. Sounds good to me. Hopefully so. The more shmup ports, the better. Indeed. So thank you everyone who uh, answered the question this month. And I guess now that brings to us what how would we answer that question? What game did you feel was uh, insurmountable when you first played it, but then later you realized, huh, it's not so hard? Well, I guess I'll go first then. Uh, <laughs> for me, that was all fighting games. All of them. Every single one. I kept trying to get into it. But man, is that a rough... It's, it's a rough grind, I will admit. You do have to do some grinding to get in there. But man, once I did... Oh, it's like butter. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on the genre. I will never go away. I mean, it took like... like here, here's the story. Here's the, here's the grand story, I suppose. I was trying to get into Tohu 12.3. Great, fun game. Super good. Very good fighting game, but man, that game's fanbase has been playing that game for a while, and it is hard to get into uh, because of that. So for the first three whole weeks I was playing online, I did not win a single game. I played that game for three weeks, and not one time did I win a game. But the moment after all that grinding that I finally took a W... Oh my gosh. Let me tell you. Glorious day that was. I will know nothing like it. And now I'm playing now now I'm like organizing uh now I'm organizing a fighting game meetup. So, you know, how the tide how the tides have turned. I went from like absolutely hating the genre to being way into it. Nice. Very nice. What about you, Addicted? Oh, of course. For me, 
It would have to be gun vein. I mean, at first, I was trying to dodge those bullets and pressing the fire button faster than Takahashi Majin after slamming a boss coffee. I was really <laughs> sweating it. But, you know, after settling things down and getting a little bit more used to the patterns, things have become easier. It's still incredibly hard, but it's a good type of hard. It, the bullets come at you flying fast and furious, and you've got to be able to quit quickly what I call the Ketsui Maneuver, which is basically you have to be able to stop on a dime and switch up from your focus shot to to your rapid shot or your regular shot in order to deal with popcorns and mid-range enemies and maximizing scoring. It really has a a system in there that's really neat. You basically collect these bomb shards, and after you collect eight bomb shards, I think it's eight, maybe a little bit more than that, but anyways, after you collect the bomb shards, then you get a full bomb, and when you activate the bomb, it produces metals. It's like a combination of the scoring system of Crimson Clover put into Dodonpachi. It's very unique, it's very hard, and they make you pass a shmup skills test in order to even start playing the game. Which <laughs> was a little bit degrading to my initial expectations of how I would do, well I would do, but it... Uh, <laughs> it it really captivated me, and I've really been enjoying my time with it. Hmm. I respect the shmup skill test. I respect that. Come out the gate like, bro, you haven't been through this ringer like four times before I got bad news. Hmm. Yeah, for me, you know, I kind of had that initial, initial feeling about death smiles. So that's sort of what sparked the question, but thinking about it, I would have to say Crimson uh, Clover. That's kind of the initial reaction I had to that game because Mark MSX was talking it up and I'd heard so much good about it. So when we picked it for Shmup Club, I got in and stage one, I thought, okay, you know, this is tough, but I can do this. And then I hit a wall pretty quickly. And I thought, I'm not sure that I'm cut out for this. (laughs) But after taking a step back and trying to look at the game more logistically, um, I started to learn it and I started to progress. And while during the month that we covered it, I didn't manage a regular clear, I did manage a novice clear. And the novice mode in that game is no joke. It's plenty challenging. So I think it's a good novice mode for new players to get into the genre, particularly if you're looking to cultivate a skill set on the Danmaku side. It's certainly a way to sort of ease yourself into the genre a bit without something along the lines of a super easy mode or a mushy novice mode that will be a bit of a pushover and you'll be able to beat it your second or third try. Um, You know, Crimson Clover standard novice mode legitimately took me about two weeks of, of play to get that clear, but it was very satisfying when it finally happened. 
Um, so that really, I would say, is is the the prime example for me. Man, I guess this is just my reminder. I need to play Crimson Clover some more. Absolutely, because I had, I own it. There's no excuses. I own it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an amazing game. It is. From what I have played, it's super fun. I just need to stop being lazy. <laughs> uh, too many games, too little time. Yeah, pretty much. All right. It's unfortunate. Well, let's roll into our focus shot segment and uh, talk a little Mushihime Sana. Ah, now we're now we finally reached my method of expertise. We're finally here. <laughs> I can talk with some vague level of authority. There you go. At last. So, have you played any Mushi lately? Me? Oh, of course. Uh, I I love me some Mushi. Uh, specifically, I play 1.5, uh, which is a little unpopular, uh, but I love it. Uh, you know who turned me on to it? Kiwi. Kiwi turned me on to it. Because he turned me on to a range... And that was all fun and good. But then I was like, man, but I want... But I but I like... But I like this other one more. And it turns out they're actually very similar games for scoring. They have some differences, but they've got a similar vibe going on, which is super cool. And I love the vibe. Uh, though normal Mushi's pretty good as well. Uh, normal Mushi's pretty good. I'm a big fan. I just when I when it comes to normal Mushi, whenever I think about playing normal Mushi, not 1.5, I'm like, yeah, but I could also be playing Futari right now. Uh. <laughs> I I could be. It could be real fun. And I guess that's just the downfall of being the first Mushi game is that you're the first one. So now that the sequel's out and it's iterated so well on everything that made, uh, you know. Everything that made Mushi so good. It's kind of... It's a little hard to go back to the OG without any caveats. But I still like it for what it is. And, I mean, if you're going to buy the Steam version, a range mode's great. 1.5 mode's fantastic. I love... Specifically, when it comes to uh, why I play 1.5, I play 1.5, honestly, primarily, because the aesthetics are on point. Honestly, that's the reason. I really love the way that game looks and sounds. I think it's got the best looks and the best soundtrack, though Arrange has a really good soundtrack too, so it's kind of hard for me to make that call. But man, mmm, mmm, let me tell you, Mushi 1.5 is pretty delicious. Uh, you can get those numbers go up pretty big uh, just by doing the uh, super tapping. I, I think that's what it's called, super tapping. I want to say it's super tapping, though I could be entirely incorrect. Oh, yes. Uh, but uh, the technique, which I am going to, for now, call super tapping, incredibly fun. Uh, it takes some finesse, though. It takes some finesse. But once you get the hang of it, oh, the world becomes your oyster. Uh, stage 4 is still bad, though. And I will say, the, the one thing I don't like about 1.5 is that they buffed the heck out of stage 3. Stage 3 at 1.5 is a nightmare. For some reason they gave all the turrets on the uh, on the back when you're starting out the level way more health. You have to like deliberately shotgun to kill them in any way. It's it's insane. I don't know why they did that. 
but they sure did, and now I'm suffering the consequences. <laughs> and it makes uh, doing the uh, doing the fun technique on that stage pretty hard as well, because you have to do you have to do some gymnastics on that stage for good storing. <laughs> you have to swap your shot, uh, which means you have to do a bunch of weird delay stuff at the beginning of the stage. Oh, it's it's a nightmare, but it's it's my nightmare. I love it. <laughs> okay, so I gotta ask because I'm focusing on 1.5 now, and I was messing with it earlier. And while I don't, while I don't notice too much aesthetically that's different from the from 1.0, uh, there are some differences. But and this may just be recency bias, but I. I think the 1.5 soundtrack might be my favorite version of the soundtrack as well. Um, Ayo. But I was going to ask, what shot type do you use? Uh, well, uh, for super tapping, you want to use uh, you want to use the uh, I want to say it's S. It's the blue one. It's got the most focused fire type right. thing. And the reason you want to do that uh, for super tapping is because. Each individual uh, shot of it, like the individual bullets, do the least amount of damage. Uh, so you want to uh, use that one for the super tapping, because you know with that you you're trying to deliberately stall out bosses so you can super tap them. So you want to use that uh, shot type so you're doing the least amount of damage to those mini bosses. Oh, okay. So then you're maximizing tick and points and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're maximizing your uh, laser bonuses, and you're making the big, you're making the big number go up. It's very nice. It's very fun. Uh, but alongside that, uh, you can do that while also getting some really good damage, just like normally when you're not super tapping. Uh, right now, the arrange mode meta is so cursed. Right now, uh, the arrange mode meta is horrendous. Uh, Right now, uh, because the entire thing around that is that you're trying to do as little damage as possible, first, you literally do not upgrade your shot. You just go in with raw S, and you have the little dinky, uh, like, start out the game shot. It's, and it's, uh, it's the highest scoring way to go about that game, uh, and it sounds miserable. <laughs> I don't know if 1.5 is the same way. I haven't really bothered optimizing it that much, but man, uh, so that's that's sort of the reason why I uh, I use that shot type. Uh, it's just it's the scoring one, uh, though in specific circumstances you do want to be using the uh, you do want to be using the W shot, the wide one. Uh, you do want to be using that specifically for stage three. Because for some reason, in stage 3, uh, there's a bunch of, like, large, uh, things to shoot that you can, uh, you can tap, uh, you can super tap them if you want, but you, it only works with, the uh, with the, uh, wide shot for some reason. Why? I honestly don't hmm. know. That's just how it is. Yeah, and the thing that I noticed is... One of the interesting bits about 1.5 is that you can choose between starting the level at sort of your normal default power level, or starting the game rather, or starting at max power. And the thing that I noticed about max power, I mean, the game tells you up front that enemies are going to shoot more and be more aggressive, but the thing I noticed about that is with W-Shot, 
if you are focus firing almost all the time, the game will be slow. And I mean, oh, very yeah, slow. That's, that's why uh, for normal Mushi Ultra, uh, they go for W shot. It's not because it has like, uh, I mean, it does have a lot of advantages, but the main one is that it shoots so many bullets that uh, you can slow down the game at will if you yeah. wish. Uh, that's why they use it. It's it's super wacky, but uh, it's super cool. And also, it has really, really good damage if you shotgun, so they use it to uh, skip a phase in the TLB. Mm. Yeah, so... Which is, you know... It, it seems to me like, if I was going to try for a clear of 1.5, going W-shot, max power, might be my, my avenue, because that may give me the... Like I say, the ability to do that, slowing down the game at will, uh, so that I can kind of control the field better, I guess. Help me read the screen better. Uh, if you're going for a clear on 1.5, what kind of clear are you going for? Not, normal? yeah, just a, just a regular original or normal clear, yeah. Uh, you might actually want to go with M-shot type. Uh, and the reason I say this is because M shot type is busted. It does so much damage. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah, they buffed the heck out of uh, M shot type uh, between uh, 1.0 1.5. Why? I don't know. Honestly, the shot type was completely fine. I don't know why they felt the need to buff mm. it, but they made it ridiculously strong. It is bar and none like the the way to go. Okay. I'll have to think about that. I mean, W is... Especially in, like... Especially in, like, normal mode. When, like, the patterns aren't super crazy, and sometimes they won't be dense enough for you to, uh, slow them down with W power, because it's normal mode. So, that strat becomes a, more reliable, I guess, the higher you go up in the, uh, in the difficulty. So, on normal, it's, like, the least reliable... So I, I'd honestly go with uh, yeah I'd go with the uh, I'd I'd go with the M M shot type just because it's so does like so much damage it's got a nice spread it's not like too closed in it's a nice medium while also doing the damage of like a focus hmm. shot for some reason okay. why I don't know it just felt like it I okay. guess I mean W is attractive because of the spread because once you're fully powered oh, yeah. up you're covering the better part of the screen so to help control the the smaller enemies and things that that uh, may pose a bigger threat if you leave them on the screen too long to me is attractive because then I can mostly focus on the larger stuff that takes more than a couple of hits to take down um, but if M will provide enough of a spread to help control the field then, yeah, the extra damage output might be advantageous. Yeah, I mean, W is also pretty good for that. Uh, just because of the... It just has so much coverage. It, it's a basically a full screenshot. I, why? I don't know. It just is. They just decided to make it that way. So it's actually really good for coverage. It's really good for taking care of popcorn enemies, especially in Stage 4, where they are at their most annoying. 
Oh my gosh, I hate the popcorn enemies in stage 4. Actually, I just hate stage 4. <laughs> actually, stage 4 is just the worst stage, actually. I take everything back. <laughs> Maybe Mushi isn't a good game. <laughs> no, no. Uh, stage 4 may be bad, but it's fine. It's fine. I'll survive, I think. Well, I mean, my run won't survive, but I will. And that's what matters. Yeah, for me, stage 4, it's less the, it's less the popcorn, and it's more knowing how to route properly for the uh, the what do you call them the water bugs or the large like, centipede things that that's those ones do get a little that's rough. what I need to learn is how to properly route through uh, those uh, well let me tell you uh, once you get past normal oh my god the uh, oh lord the popcorn I, on Maniac and on uh, on Ultra, it is absolutely cursed what it will mm. do. It is not fun. They will completely wall you off just without any mercy, none whatsoever. They'll just they'll just completely ruin everything just for like a like a fun gaff. And I I don't know why they're like this. They just are. Wow, it's really annoying. You have to, like, make some serious routing. Especially in Ultra, it's one of the biggest hurdles, just riding out stage 4, just because of just how much aimed fire they will shoot at you. It is ludicrous. It is not even funny. It's it's where the majority of the routing really goes into, because it's just that annoying. That and the TLB. Oh. Which is a whole other can of worms. Yes. Well, what about you, Addicted? Have you had any time to play Mushi lately? Uh, not as much as I'd like here, going with uh, two illnesses in the past month and, well, usual stuff that happens with two, two young kids. But I, I did play a little bit with Stage 4 trying to eke my way through it. I should have more time and i also uh, made the mistake of starting up never awake which uh, ate up all my time until i finished the game so oh, yes. yeah <laughs> I, uh, oops i played the wrong game but no uh I, I i need to play more of stage three or battleship bug to get used to the very end of the boss phase and to play more of stage four uh i I got to do something more about the trying to get better because it's beginning to feel a little bit like I get my game of golf. No matter how much I try, I'm just not getting much better. So I'm I'm hoping that you know next year's uh, game of the year will be a nice change of pace. So I, I unfortunately don't have much to say this time other than I'm still working at it and getting better. But it's a game of inches. And sure. hopefully I'll have something for next month. Well, speaking of which, would you like to go ahead and introduce our 2023 Focus Shot game? Yeah, sure. It's Rock On. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. No, actually, we were going to go. It was real hard to do a toss-up here. We were looking really hard at Soulstar, and we were looking really hard at Gunvane. In the end, the scoring system of Gunvane made it have a lot more opportunities for 
<coughs> plays and stuff. It, it really did remind me a lot of Crimson Clover with the um, ABB system. You know, always be breaking and, and figure out the right time. The So that just gave it a little bit of an edge. From what I play it already, I really love Gunvane, and I'm hoping that they do a physical release of it or get more out there. I'm not sure if it's... Yeah, it came out on the Switch, I believe, right? I know it's got the Steam release. I don't so, know if it's on Switch yet. It might just be on Steam. But NG Dev definitely knows their stuff when it comes to SDGs, and I think this is a big way for people to get more experience and try it out. It really does feel like the scoring system of uh, Crimson Clover is meshed with the gameplay of Dodonpachi. It really, really is something else, and be nice to... Uh, Buck up my skills throughout 2023. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, so this will be uh, ABB Mark II. Always be bombing, since it seems like ah. bombing is the uh, the big scoring maneuver in Gunbane. Ah, the anti-cave game. We love to see yeah. it. Yeah, I, it reminds me of Garega in that sense, where you know you you talked before addicted about collecting the bomb fragments and then you know bombing in order to create the metals, and so this kind of yeah this kind of is like what if you took the bomb fragment? Uh, you what know, you're really system. doing is setting up the bomb, aren't you? Yeah. Well, what if? Ah, I see how What it if is. you took the bomb fragment... You're setting us up the bomb? Yeah. What if, what if you took the bomb fragment system from Garega and then took the the idea that you don't bomb in cave games if you want to score and turn that on its ear and say, no, actually, you want to bomb. You want to bomb a lot. Uh, and so I kind of like that idea. And that might help me as a bit of a bomb hoarder to help get over that hump so that I can be a little bit more free with the bombs and worry less about, um, you know, the end of stage bonuses or no bomb bonuses, things like that. Yeah, it, it really is all about strategically deciding when you're going to release the bomb and which collect the medals and how quickly you can avoid the bullets it's similar in some way into like point blanking and getting in there but you're constantly micro dodging in order to gain a better position in order to defeat enemies as fast as possible so that way you can get them but you're always mindful of is there stuff that does focus bullets on there there's stuff that does your your patterns on there and then there is uh and sort of like random shots in between. So you're constantly weaving in and out as you're trying to do switch between focus shot and your regular shot in order to get as many bomb pieces as fast as possible so that way you can bomb the larger enemies. And when you bomb the larger enemies, then you get the medals, and the more medals you get, the higher you can increase your score. It... it I think we talked a little bit about this within last month when we were dealing with um, Pierce Bosnan and uh, Steel. Um, I almost called it Steel Empire. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, Project Steel, 
I mean, you have these days. You you've got to have something to. Uh, not, I don't want to say gimmick, but you really have to have a hook to keep people coming back. And I thought Steel uh, Project Steel did a great job with that. Uh, Project Starship X. Maybe you just name your game Project, and there you go. But no, uh, having some kind of hook to keep people playing and keep people trying for a higher score. I think that's what helps a lot with the longevity of the cave games. And it's definitely present in Gun Vein. You're going to have people who d- try different routes on here. It it's really feels like for the first time in a long time, someone has got the cave formula down, but they've also added a, a unique twist to it. And I think that little by little, this is going to spread like wildfire, just like Crimson Clover did, word of mouth, where, where it becomes a... Um, a hardcore favorite. Mm. Nice. All right. Well, let's move into shmup news. You know, all the news that's fit to shmup. <laughs> exactly. True. And what sort of exciting things have been happening that I have not been paying attention to? Well, first up is that Darius Burst CS is getting another physical release thanks to uh, Strictly ah. Limited Games. Uh, this time, it's going to be called Darius Burst CS Core. And in addition to the main CS mode content, it's also going to include uh, some Taito and Sega DLC packs. <laughs> so those will be on the release, as far as I know. Um, I, I don't... I think maybe there's going to be a Switch version coming, but this is an odd one because there have been so many releases of Darius Burst uh, within the last few years. The Limited Run did a physical on PS4 of just Darius Burst CS. wasn't even translated. It's literally just the game. Uh, of course, it's hit Steam, and the Steam version has tons of available DLC that you can buy to add all sorts of of ships and things from other games that that's a huge rabbit hole that you can go down buying all the DLC. Um, so this kind of takes a middle of the road approach where it gives you the, the Chronicle mode content but then gives you some of the DLC. So I'll be curious to know how much of the other DLC will be available for purchase with this version on console versus what you can buy um, on Steam for the PC version. Honestly, I just hope this port is enough to get me to play the game. Apparently the last few hundred ones weren't, apparently. (laughs) Why? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're just trying to compete with Raiden Four for the most number of shmup. Really, <laughs> this will be uh, Darius Burst CS Core of Mikado Remix. <laughs> ah, I see. Well, maybe that one will be the one where I actually purchase the game and play it, or maybe the one after that. I think they should just keep trying and see what happens. It could be really funny. I will say, I am not much of an online gamer, but. Darius Burst CS four-player co-op is a hoot and a half. Ooh, that sounds like it could be very fun. Would you call it a hoot and a hanny? I definitely, yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> yeah, Darius vs. CS Core. I mean, it's always good to see another one come out there. I'm curious to see if the U.S. publishing arm of Strictly Limited, which we believe to be ININ, picks this up and runs with this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Einan will be involved in it or not, but either way, I guess Taito's just trying to squeeze all the money they can out of Darius Burst, so why not? Yeah, they've got that, and then they also have the um, G Darius, right? I mean, that, that's still pretty relevant and new. Mm-hmm. Didn't that all one like have a best of or something on there? They had like one of those weird stickers, like bestseller or something, like printed on it. Something like that. Yeah. Oh. But, uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it sells well, and that they bring this to be a little bit more of a wider market release. Uh, something with strict limit, but uh, something tells me this is not the last time we'll see the name Darius attached to a strictly limited uh, release. So, coming up here, a fan-made Pico 8 remake of the classic Beam Rider is available and now up on itch.io. I have not played Beam Rider, nor have I played this fan remake. I will have to make some time for this. Yeah, Beam Rider is sort of what you would think of as an early early console take on the idea of something like Juno First or... um, uh, what's the game that uh, Radar Scope? So think Radar Scope or Juno First, but strip down a little bit, basic grid layout, and uh, that's kind of what Beam Rider is. And it was on the 2600 ColecoVision, might have been on, I don't know if it was on the Intellivision. Um, but it's a, a neat little game for its time, and so it's kind of be kind of cool that somebody is uh, bringing it back. Well, whatever it is, I'm sure it's better than the Yara's Revenge remake. I mean, I've never heard of the game, so I'm I'm enjoying this. Uh, I'm enjoying this regardless. Having a method to actually play it will be pretty yeah. cool. I mean, the more shrimps I can play, the better. I'd say. Absolutely. <laughs> And speaking of Raiden here, uh, Raiden 3 X Mikado Remake, or Cross Mikado Maniacs is releasing on modern consoles, which will include the Raiden 3 arcade release, a new soundtrack arrangement, similar to the Raiden 4 Mikado, uh, Cross Mikado, and a Japanese physical has been announced, including a release that contains a two-CD soundtrack with extra goodies. Well, it's nice to see that they aren't just re-releasing another version of Raiden 4, which, well, I guess they already are, right? I mean, they've got <laughs> a port, port of that on there, and there's already, like, a double ender pack on there for that came out via limited run with the Switch that was on Raiden 4 and Raiden 5. Yep. I would love it if you could just turn that card around and, like, switch instead of having the menu. It's just like the old double ender 2600 carts. You just switch it around, <laughs> plug it in. Uh, I mean, it's nice to see that they're going back to Riding 3 because I think Riding 3 was a game that uh, had some good ideas but was definitely flawed. And I, I think that 
maybe getting some more time out there in development and get out there gets a better idea. In fact, that that was where the um, the toothpaste laser laser was removed. Right? It was it was came out in right in two, and then removed from right in three with the plasma laser. Right? And then they came back with right in four with with both, and that's why you could select them in the options screen. Yep. Yeah, well, they kind of nerfed it, and so... Um, it was green in Riding 3, too, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I remember playing Riding 3 on PS2 some while after it came out, and thinking, this is solid, but I don't love it. So, I am looking forward to this release, because maybe it'll give me a good reason to go back to it um, and revisit the game and hopefully find more to like about it than I initially did. And and I would have to say the soundtrack wasn't that great compared to some of the other stuff. I mean, I, I, you could say after Gallantry it all went downhill, but I think a lot of people will like <laughs> Raiden 2 and especially Raiden DX that came out for the PlayStation 1 and thinking that it, it, it certainly was a low point in the series in regards to music, so I'm hoping that the range comes out a lot better and the it comes up to the standards that Raiden 4 had, because that had an excellent soundtrack. Right. Uh, there's a new indie shooter called Ice Wall, which is out now on Steam. Uh, it's kind of got a color vector look to it, and it combines uh, early fixed-screen shooters like Space Invaders and Gorf with some Don Maku elements. Um, Ooh. You said Don Maku? I'm intrigued yeah. now. So, I started listening again. My ears open. If, Thank you. I guess if you could think of a Space Invaders vector game with, with bullet hell stuff, that... Seems like an unlikely combination, but just watching the... That seems like perfect, honestly. I'm down with that. Just watching the, um, you know, the trailer on Steam, it looks like it could work. So I'm intrigued. It definitely sounds like my kind of jam. I love that sort of vibe. It's a, it's a, it's a niche one for sure, but I think it's cool. City Connection has announced a modern Formation Z revival with Project Formation Z. It looks like a modern reimagining of the original. Development is being handled by Granzella, so it's stylistically similar to R-Type Final 2. You know, I, I yeah, I hope that this goes well. I, my feelings on R-Type Final 2 were a little mixed, but I had the most enjoyment. I should say with R-Type Final 2, it was the case of buy it on consoles to support but play it on PC and I think that I hope that things work a little bit better especially when it comes to the Switch I think 30 second what was it 30 or 40 second loading times on mm. the Switch version were uh, not acceptable right it's so, pretty excessive oh they were that's whack yeah it was it was definitely pretty bad so I have high hopes for this, but it will remain to be seen. Regardless, I'm glad that they are getting more work in. We've got another shmup 
is the work on R-Type Final 2 is, looks like it, well, I hate to use this word, but finally coming to a, cl- a close. <laughs> uh, City Connection has also announced the forthcoming Akai Katana Shin ports will be coming to PC as well. And that is slated for a December 15th Steam release. Now that I'm super excited for. I've wanted to play Akai Katana for a long time. And I have not been able to. Because I like having money in my wallet. Mm. (laughs) I know. Bold choice. Well. But uh, it's true. Yeah, And see, the weird thing is, for the longest time, the 360 version was cheap. And now, over the last couple of years, it's not anymore. Um, And my understanding is that apparently the arranged modes are great on 360, but the original arcade mode avoid because apparently it's inaccurate. So I'm hoping with this modern port that will be forthcoming on PC and consoles that it will fix that and hopefully give us the best way to experience the game going forward. Very agree, because this is a game I've been super interested about for a long time. It's another, It falls into the same camp as Death Smiles for me, and, you know, that makes my heart very warm and excited. <laughs> Ugh. I, I got a new game that even remotely looks like Death Smiles. Like... <laughs> You know, <laughs> yep. I'm on the hunt. I'm on the hunt for it, but uh, I've been able to get Kai the Katana, and it's it's a shame. But I'm glad we're finally here. <laughs> it took a while, but we're finally here. A hopefully good port of a Kai Katana that's actually playable. We love to see it. I have a little bit of embarrassment about a Kai Katana. Is I th- I think that game was well, let's say I got it for I think it was eleven dollars new from Amazon when they were clearing them out and it, I it was on my to do list but I never opened it I still have a sealed copy of it and it, <laughs> at this point I think I'll probably just play the Steam version. Yeah, it sounds like a fun sell to me. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it definitely was on there and something I wanted to do, but I. I got sucked into other stuff. I was playing too much of uh, Futari. Then I pl- started playing some Mushi Mushi Pork and playing some um, DFK and uh, what the hey, all these three letter acronyms for for everything that begins with Dodon here. The uh, last one, SDOJ. Playing a lot of SDOJ. Yeah. And, and after that, I, I just ran out of time. But I have to say props to City Connection. They started out with doing stuff like uh, what was the that one that was on the Satella View with the Shabubin Man, or oh. the right, you know, the one that was only on there, and they released that physically, and then they went and did a re-release of uh, Glaylancer. Mm-hmm. And people were giving a lot of stuff for that because I remember the pre-order system went horribly wrong with that one. But they've really come across and have started to really release stuff and make their name shown. And I'm really happy that they even do with any stuff, such as the one from Soromaru, the um, shoot, the platform, platform that came on the PC, the PC Engine, 
And it was part two. It was the Dreamcast, and it was done by Josh Bosch. Shoot, the name is... Oh, uh, FX I, Unit Yuki? FX, yeah, I almost said Battle... Battle... <laughs> battle Engine, no. Uh, yeah, FX Unit Yuki. They published Soromaru's, or FX Unit Yuki, the PC Engine, in Japan. They were published for, for that. They did the publishing for the Dreamcast, if I remember correctly, version as well. But they really expand it and they're doing sort of like a unique uh, SCG that's why I was happy to see the, anything from them and I applaud their efforts for that and I'm hopeful that uh, Embracer Group follows suit with their releases of Gimmick and uh, other little treasures nice now, now all they need to do next is to bring all of our um the argument. I swear I should have at least I should have really slammed that uh, boss coffee like Tashkahashi Majin because I'm running on like two brain cells but uh, <laughs> I should the uh, what's that arcade system that everything gets ported to that gimmick was oh XR Arcadia the XR Arcadia we need an XR Arcadia collection come on now huh <laughs> <laughs> Granzella will be bringing uh, forward a PS5 version of R-Type Final 2 with additional content, exclusive levels, and they're calling it R-Type, R-Type Final 3 R-Typing again. No, uh, R-Type <laughs> 3 Final 3 Evolve, sorry. This will receive a special edition through NIS America. And they've also announced the R-Type Tactics 1 and 2 Cosmos Collection for PS4, 5, Switch, and PC, which... <clears throat> compiles both games into a single release. So it'll be the first time R-Type Final 2 Operation Bitter Chocolate, which I swear was a unused Toho game title, <laughs> will be commercially available in the West. Yeah, the R-Type Final or R-Type Command or R-Type Tactics, they're, those look interesting and I'll probably buy it because I buy anything R-Type. But I pro- is one of the things I, I don't know if I'll, I'll be playing. I I prefer my R-Type shmups, but it's it, it sort of like if, if someone came out with a um, Ease Pog game, I would probably still buy it, but I won't be playing Pogs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, a bit of minor shameless self-promotion here, but... Ah, here there's it is. A, there's a new video from Lazy Devs on YouTube... And it features multiple shmup content creators, including yours truly, as well as uh, Shmup Junkie, Mark MSX, and more. Uh, the video is called 15 Shmups That Teach How Shmups Work. And uh, it released a couple of weeks ago, and Lazy Devs asked me to uh, provide some, uh, some feedback and kind of, it's basically a video that talks to people about good shooting games that will introduce them to the genre, kind of help them learn fundamental mechanics and things, and get into the the genre in a way that isn't overwhelming or, um, you know, might be games that are a bit more approachable. And so I recommended Blazing Lasers for the Turbo Graphics, and uh, yeah, so that's go check that video out 
Did Tohu 8 make it into that video? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't think so. That's a shame, because that one's a seriously good contender. Is that the Flowery Knight? Which one is that? Imperishable Knight, yes. That one, I would say, is a very good Toho game. I think that, if I remember correctly, that was one of the ones that I was surprised at how well the mechanics were, because I, I, the game, I don't know, it, at first, I thought I had to run in DOS mode or something, but it would turn out to be made for XP. I mean, it it looks antiquated, but the gameplay on that one is top-notch. Hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the mechanics aren't super in-depth. They're pretty shallow, I'll admit. And the level design does kind of corral you around. But that's why I think it's such a good beginner schmuck. Because yeah. it's, not, it's not crazy to think about. Once you get your head around the mechanics, it's really simple. You can immediately see how you would use the mechanics, and the game does a great job guiding you around using them, so it gets you into that mindset. And the patterns are just really solid and establish some really good fundamentals. Yeah, a lot of the variations I've seen on something such, even with the uh, Shiki or Shiki Kondo. There are just variations of stuff I've saw, seen in that game. So a lot of the patterns and stuff are reused for a lot of uh, later indie games. It does a good job of building fundamentals, especially when you have a radio-style bullet pattern. So, Namco Arcade Cut'em Up Ordine recently got an Arcade Archives release, as well as their early hit Galaxian. Also known on Arcade Archives as Taito Classic Metal Black. Now, can't go wrong with Metal Black. Everyone knows that Saturn release. <clears throat> but Ordine may not be as widely known because its last console release was on the TurboGrafx-16. And or ah. Yeah, or Ordine is definitely a fun cut-em-up on there. Whenever someone says uh, arcade cut-em-ups from Namco, I keep thinking about that one with the guy who's got... It looks like he's on roller skates but has got a gun attached to his head. I can't remember Pistol that. Pistol Daimyo. Pistol Daimyo, yep. That sounds like a, a song title, doesn't it? Off of, uh, you know, have you heard this new me metal band called Metal Black? Have you heard their new <laughs> their new single, Metal Pistol Daimyo? <laughs> right. Well, they, they've got they've got a song at the hidden track at the very end. It's called Ordine. No. <laughs> well, I'm I'm excited for Ordine because that is definitely a lesser known game, and Metal Black is uh, an awesome one, so definitely glad to see both of those get released. Uh, the initial batch of four Toplan shooters that Bitwave Games is releasing on Steam are now available to wishlist, and that is Outzone, Truxton, Twin Cobra, and Zero Wing. Ah, we made the we made the uh, someone stuff the bomb joke just a little bit earlier. Perfect. Exactly. That's what we call a callback, baby. Someone set us up the Steam wish list. Yeah, yeah, that's going on there now. Well, it's time to move this podcast along for great justice. All right. <laughs> Cubite Inter Interactive is releasing the Visco collection on modern consoles. Which includes several Neo Geo titles, among them are shooters such as Andro Dunos and Captain Tomade, 
Now, Captain Tomodei got a, a re-release for the Dreamcast, of all things, recently. It's still definitely a fun game, and Andro Dunos, well, <clears throat> that game has become infamous lately because of its sequel. Yeah, but I want to say that the Dreamcast release of Captain Tomodei had some technical issues that maybe held it back a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see if this Visco collection has solid Neo Geo emulation so that the game is a bit more playable. Were the technical issues the Dreamcast controller? Because I could definitely see that. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. I think it's uh, frame rate and you know performance in general. Oh, is is it's not the fact that it requires sixteen double A's so the VMU doesn't beep at you when you play the game, <laughs> or that the, the console cord is attached to the back on there? I'll give them props for the um, analog stick. That was definitely was ahead of its time, but True. just the controller designed. Oh my goodness, what were you thinking? You know? Yeah. Well, speaking of Sega. The unique Sega Genesis shooter, Crying, uh, known here in the West as Biohazard Battle, uh, celebrated its 30th anniversary on October 1st. And now we all feel old. Let's go. (laughs) Although, if I were to to take this thing, we got this great game, it's named Crying. I would probably change it to something. Say, let's change it. Biohazard Battle sounds a lot better than a game named Crying. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Indie shooter Shield made it. And MX now has a Steam page where you can wishlist the game with a release stated for quarter one, 2023. <clears throat> now, you and I both have a beta test of this guru, but I was pleasantly surprised and... I think this game has a shot to be one of the regular staples of the SDG community. It's definitely has a lot of different variations and things that you do. It's very, um, I guess you could say it might be a little bit intimidating. I think we talked about that maybe another answer for our question of the month to get into. But once you get in the groove and figure out the mechanics, it really becomes an interesting way of risk-reward for getting the highest score you can. Yeah. And actually, this is one that I feel like is quite approachable um, because there's a there's a beginner mode that you essentially have to play through in order to unlock the main mode of the game. And then as you continue to play, you know, you unlock subsequent modes that give you the ability to play harder and harder iterations of the game. So it's definitely one that um, more and more people need to check out. And once it's on Steam, I think it'll be a lot easier for a wider audience to start playing it. Uh, indie dev Polygon Bird has a forthcoming shooter called Birdcage, which features a sword-based melee system. Uh, there's no release date yet, but the initial footage looks promising. Ah, oh, let's go. We'd love to see it. Birdcage with a sword-based melee system. Is this sort of like a, sh- a cross between Shmup and Nidhogg? 
I, I love it when shmups do the melee. It's so funny every single time. Yeah. It's hard to describe, but... I don't know. You just have to check out the trailer. But it... Ah, I see. It's so hard to describe that you have to go and support the developer by going off to the wishlist uh, the game and watch the trailer just to get a general idea of what yeah. it looks like. Hmm. But... Maybe I should go do that, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely think it looks, well, promising. Well, I'll have to take a look. Limited run games while well, pre-orders open through Christmas Day 2022 for the Konami Classic Arcades release collection, which includes multiple arcades such as Gradius and Nemesis, Gradius 2, Vulcan Venture, Scramble, Typhoon, also known as Ajax, Salamander slash Life Force Twinbee and Thundercross. And, you know, I, I thought all I wanted for Christmas was Tex Maxim, but now I want this too. <laughs> yep. Welcome. Yeah, lo- a lot of classics out in there. Well, we already mentioned it, but uh, Gunvane is now out on Steam from NG Dev Team and indie developer Boghog. And uh, the initial review from Mark MSX and others, including our own Addicted, are glowing. Indeed, it is definitely a fun game. And it has a little couple ton-in-cheek references to some other games. I noticed that they did the sort of the, you know, SDOJ sort of got that sort of neon projection that you see in the first level with mm-hmm. with all sorts of stuff. They, they sort of had a little fun and threw in... Uh, the little mascots for NG Dev in there, which is a character based on Gunlord, and a, a couple of other callbacks to other games like um, it was. It's not. I keep wanting to call it Super Zizzy, but what's the um, XYX? Oh, Super XYX. Is that what it's called? Okay. Or Neo XYX. Neo, I think it's Neo XYX, man. XYX on there, but we'll have to cover that sometime too. Beat Hazard 3 is out now on Steam from Cold Bean Games, like its predecessors. It's a procedurally generated twin-stick shooter that drives its levels and bosses based on the music you supply the game. Alright. Sounds nice. I mean, considering it's third iteration, sounds like it could be fun. Though I'm gonna be real, this may just be a me thing, but anytime I hear procedurally generated and shooter... I have like five alarm bells going off in my head. <laughs> There's like five of them, and they all go off, and it hurts my ears. Uh, mostly because I, I loathe with a burning passion, uh, Lennon Four, uh, like no one else does. I, I legitimately hate that game. I think it's my least favorite shmup of all time. <laughs> but <laughs> so. Uh, I'm sure it's a great game, though. I mean, surely after three entries, they would they would have nailed it. Well, I played a ton of Beat Hazard and Beat Hazard 2. And the thing that I'll say is, of course, I played it on mobile. Um, and ah. so touchscreen controls in some ways can help. But the interesting thing about this game is like i said they're procedurally generated so you're you're feeding it the songs and it's essentially using the song and the data within the song to create the enemy waves and the boss that you fight 
So you're getting a lot of the same kinds of things all the time, but the different songs that you give it will change the ebb and flow of the level. And the level's only going to last as long as the song does. So that's the nice thing. It's very pick up and play, and you can jump in, listen to a few tunes, either ones that you pick specifically, or you can put it on shuffle and just let it pick songs out of your library and create the levels from there. But, you know, it's one that you can, when you've got a few minutes, jump in, play a few levels, have a good time, and move on. You know, this would be something that I would love to see you stream, is if you stream this here, I'm going to request Baby Shark. (laughs) That would probably get DMCA'd. I would stop playing the game, actually, I think. (laughs) I think that would be the end of the stream, actually. But much like I did with uh, when we played uh, N2O, I would enjoy streaming something like this and bringing in some indie music, you know, stuff that would probably not get struck down on Twitch. Um, Unknown bands and old demos and things like that. Stuff that most people have never heard. That would be fun to mess with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, You get one of those CDs or DVDs, uh, CDs actually, that it's just all of those uh, Christmas songs all sung by Cats Meowing. Just throw that in there. <laughs> wow. Oh, yes. So, uh, Drainus will be getting a physical release now, available for pre-order from Strictly Limited Games. Yes, and Drainus, from what I have heard, is an excellent plumbing solution. Uh, I've heard say... <laughs> Sarah, Sarah Flash, also known as Ed, mentioned several times. No, I'm, I actually heard it's a great shmup, so I'm looking forward to trying that one out. If I remember, uh, Drainus is the shmup made by Team Ladybug, yes. right? The ones that did, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Super fun. Uh, I mean, I really love uh, Tohu Luna Knight, so this is exciting news. Very exciting news. Yeah. And supposedly it's a very approachable game, and some say that it's too easy until you get to the hardest difficulty mode, but um, but that the mechanics are fun. So we'll have to check I'm looking it out. forward to it. Then again, leave it to a bunch of Tohu players to make it easy. Shmup, am I right? No, 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 no. But again, this is also a self-roast here, so, you know. <laughs> uh, so. And finally, um, there are a couple of recent uh, shmup music releases that uh, I thought I would mention. There's a vinyl release of the Fantasy Zone arcade soundtrack, now out on data discs, and a Japanese CD release of Elemental Master, that is uh, coming out through uh, the outfit Soundshock, who has done several other Technosoft uh, soundtrack CD releases. Hasn't Fantasy Zone been released a couple times before, or am I just imagining it? Yeah, actually, Fantasy Zone 
I want to say got a vinyl release back in the mid 80s when the game came out. And then somewhat more recently, there was a Fantasy Zone box set, uh, which I actually have. And um, it's got kind of a kind of a crazy, um, a crazy name to it. Uh, let me bring it up here. Fly away with me, the best of Fantasy Zone. No, it's um. You are the wind beneath my wings. Ult Fantasy Zone, ultra super big, maximum great strong, um, complete album is what it's called. Excellent. Yeah, it originally came out in two thousand eleven. Uh, but it is still commercially available because I bought it earlier in the year through Amazon Japan. And it's four discs. And it's quite literally all of the Fantasy Zone music that you would want. And it's the arcade version, the Sega Master System version, uh, I think the PC Engine version of the original game, plus um, the... PSG and FM versions of Fantasy Zone 2 on the Master System, the quote arcade music uh, that came out on the 3DS version of Fantasy Zone 2 that M2 put together, plus. Um, what about the Specky? Well, no, spe no Specky no soundtrack? Oh. But, the soundtrack for I can't remember the name of it, but it's that other um, the Pac-Man clone. Zone. Yeah, the Pac-Man clone, Fantasy Zone gear on the Game Gear. So it's it's all kinds of Fantasy Zone, and it's a great collection. But yeah, the uh, the new vinyl release um, comes in three flavors: a standard black vinyl, there's a colored vinyl, and then the one I got, which is the sort of pink and white splatter vinyl. Nice. Uh, yeah, the game it looks like was called uh, Opa Opa or Fantasy Zone The Maze. Yes. Uh, does it have music from Space Fantasy Zone? Uh, I believe it does. Alright, get ready. Let's go. All right, so that is all the news that is fit to shmup. Oh, that is that was a lot yes. of news, which is good. Mouth. Yeah, I was gonna say, man, it seemed like it wasn't that long ago. Maybe in the early aughts, where I was listening to a couple of Mark MSX's Electric Underground podcast, and all the talk was about how do we get people engaged in shmups? How do <laughs> if this nowadays it's sort of like slow down? I don't have enough time to play all this. Right. <laughs> Yeah, not enough time to play all the games or not enough money to buy them all either. Yeah, I... Jeez. I, well be to the person who has to buy all the writing releases. <laughs> and I, I swear Death Smiles is getting is working its way up there too. They're with the, the City Connection releases, right? Ah. Is, they did City Connection for 1 and 2 on PS4. I mean, we've had the Xbox 360 port, the three, the PC port, 
and now just the city connections. And the yeah, the city connection ports are actually pretty good, but we'll talk about those later. Oh yeah, yeah. We got some shoutouts to do today first. Well, let's go ahead and move into discussion. Our main topic here, which of course is death smiles. Yes, at last. It took us three hours to get here, but we made it. (laughs) (laughs) So we had... Finally, I can... Well, actually, everyone. (laughs) Finally, after all these years. So we had a pretty good group who participated alongside us this month. Uh, Of course, it was myself and Addicted. We also had Red McKnight, Faux Macho, ChrisTap76, Corkman, Mighty Squirrel, uh, our guest, Rena. BB, Hi. Orc Commander, Super Goat, and Blur STG. What a group of chads they are! <laughs> so, especially that Rena person. Just oh, so what a what a good person it is. <laughs> I bet they're really good. <laughs> <laughs> so we've already we've already covered uh, Cave before. So rather than belaboring the point and going into all the Cave history as we did on the Ketsui episode, let's just cut to the chase right with uh, stuff that's relevant for this game. So, of course, Death Smiles was both developed and published by Cave. It came out in arcades October 19th, 2007, in Japan, and it runs on the CV-1000B hardware. It was the second of three horizontal shooting games that Cave released after Pro Gear but prior to Akai Katana. Uh, are, we cur- are we counting Death Smiles 1 and 2 as the same kind of horizontal shooting games? Uh, yeah, I guess technically that means there are four. Because Death Smiles 2 is its own thing. Death Smiles 2 is a whole other thing. I'm sure we'll get into it <laughs> one of these months. Right. <laughs> That's Death Smiles Saves Christmas. Ah, December's coming up. Yes. (laughs) So the game was directed by Junya Inoue, who also provided the art. Uh, It was produced by Kenichi Takano, designed by uh, Atsushi Aburano, Toshiyuki Koroiwa, and Akura Wakabayashi, uh, as well as Hiroyuki Tanaka. It was programmed by Takashi Ichimura, Yuji Inoue, and Tsuneki Ikeda. And, of course, the music was composed by the incomparable Manabu Namiki. The one and only baby, let's go! (laughs) The Mega Black Label version of the game released just less than a year later, October 10th, 2008, my understanding from what I read is that there are uh, 200 of these arcade boards. So the Mega Black Label PCB is in short supply. Uh, Then it was released on the Xbox 360 April 23rd, 2009 in Japan, June 29th, 2010 in North America. The EU got it February 18th, 2011. And then Australia got it just less than a month later, March 10, 2011. 
The console version added the 1.1 mode uh, alongside the original arcade, the normal mode, and then Mega Black Label. And then DLC was available, um, which I think the DLC is actually... I think my notes in this are wrong. I think the DLC is actually only for the the new releases. Yep, it's only the new <laughs> releases. Uh, Death Smiles has the distinction of being the first cave game to receive a console port in North America and even got a special edition release with a large box, includes a soundtrack CD, and a custom Xbox 360 faceplate. You know it. I actually have both those things right now in my nice. hands. I'm carrying my, carrying my Xbox 360. It's worth uh. it. There was an iOS version of the game released on July 7th, 2011, and then later on Android in 2013. Uh, the original Steam release that came out on Windows was in 2016 and was basically the same content as the 360 version. Uh, so there's actually a distinct there's actually some distinguishing differences between okay. the two. Uh, there's some sl- there's some slowdown differences, the worst kind. Uh. <laughs> uh, you see, the original port on the Xbox 360 was broken. It did not work correctly, uh, especially with Mega Black Label. The slowdown was not arcade accurate at all, and in some stages, did not function. Just did not function, especially Mega Black Label, where the second extra stage just didn't have any slowdown mm-hmm. so eventually uh access one other way to patch the game to make it more accurate it still isn't fully accurate but it's close enough i guess it still sucks but you know whatever uh but the pc port is the unpatched version of the game Ooh. <laughs> yeah Ouch. so the original steam release in other words is uh not ideal no, it's not. Okay, good to know. And then, of course, the latest release, which is the uh, compilation of Death Smiles and Death Smiles 2, came out December 2021 on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And as we mentioned before, this was from City Connection, and it has updated ports of the game's that are based on the previous releases, but with improved accuracy in the slowdown. We finally did it. It only took, what, seven, seven, eight. It only took 15 years, but we finally have a console. We have we finally have an arcade accurate port. We've done it, boys. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we'll get into the details as we go along, but just a brief synopsis, I guess. The story revolves around a group of girls who have been transported to a land known as Gilverado, which is in another dimension, separate from Earth. Yeah, that's and also an eagle song, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> they have magical powers, and they have been taught by Mr. Dior, who has taken all the girls in uh, after their arrival to Gilverado. 
They need to ward off the monsters that continue to flood the land thanks to the magical shenanigans of a man named Jitterbug, who was also transported to Gilverado and has been learning magic in order to open a portal back to Earth so he can go home. His exploits have unfortunately also opened a portal to a demon dimension, causing Gilverado to be overrun with all kinds of evil creatures. Something that I found interesting when uh, I was researching is that apparently the original arcade release, the PCB, only had two characters unlocked. And it was a couple of weeks before Cave let the cat out of the bag and put out the codes to unlock the other two characters. Yeah, it's true. Uh, if you go, uh, if you for some reason don't like the training mode uh, for Death Smiles, I can't imagine why you wouldn't uh, and want to just use save states. You will be taken off guard. Uh, I was. I know I was. Uh, and I was like, had to do some frantic in the moment searching. But yeah, it's true. It's weird. I don't even know why. Maybe I could see it with Rosa, but why does Follett have to be unlocked? It's so weird. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm wondering if they they didn't want people to clear the game as quickly right away and maybe figure that some of the more hardcore players would probably clear the game more easily than uh, some of the other titles, which I could see. And so maybe they wanted to make it a little bit harder by giving you the two worst characters right off the bat <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, leak the information later um, <laughs> because maybe people maybe they figured that um, people wouldn't want to use those two characters unless they didn't really have an option that's that's so weirdly wrong though Wendy is actually kind of a fire character. And Follette kind of sucks. <laughs> At least in Desmos 1. Uh, no offense, because I, I play Follette in Desmos 2X, so I'm making up for my words here. But man, Follette kind of sucks in this game. <laughs> Weird choice. Um, and then the Mega Black Label version adds the character Sakura, who you fight during the game as a playable character. And then the newer DLC uh, adds a whole new set of characters that you can play. Uh, Lennon, Catlea, Sifle, Plumeria, and Rosalie. And based on what I found, these are all from the mobile cave STG, Gothic Wa Maho Otome. Uh, sometimes abbreviated as Gomatsu. <laughs> Ooh. Sorry, a little gotcha in yeah, my throat. I haven't checked this out, but I've actually heard that it's fun. So, take that for what you will. Mm, I don't know. I would contest this. <laughs> I think they're just coping because they spent money on the game. Okay, so do you have anything to add in terms of story? 
because I know there's lore here. Um, oh yeah, the deep, the deep uh, death smiles lore. I'm, I'm, then again, you get most of the super weird lore bomb drops in Death Smiles too. Death Smiles one is pretty tame in comparison. Oh okay. Well, of course, each character has their own uh, story in the game and their own ending, which kind of fleshes that out. But um, that's one of the things I found interesting about the game was the actually the endings. Uh, not to jump too far ahead, but the fact that for the main set of characters, you can... There's a choice you can make at the end of the game, which changes the ending that you get. It's true. It's true. You can choose the good ending or the great <laughs> ending. The great ending being, of course, the real outside world was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> ah, yes. I thought the, the ending was that it, Mary the Cow was a mastermind all along. <laughs> ah, how'd you know? Oh, there's actually something to note here uh, relating to the characters' backstories, uh, and it has to do with the translation, actually. Uh, canonically, uh, not only do the characters have an age, but a place that they were, uh, that they originate from, because they're not all, like, Gilvaradians, I guess, whatever you would want to call them. Uh, I believe Arosa's from, like, California, uh, and Wendy is Japanese, uh, Casper is, I believe, German, and Follette is, I don't know, probably your French, I think. Uh, French? That makes sense. But, uh, it comes out in the dialogue, uh, and this is a holdover specifically from the Axis port, that for some reason, every other port feels like carrying over, and I do not know why. Uh, but, uh, the characters do in fact speak in, uh, very stereotypical accents. Uh, uh, Casper says stuff like a wonder bar out of nowhere. Just just throws it into her huh. speech as like a little funny. I do that all the time. And Rosa, don't you? I say like, this is <laughs> great. This is wonder bar. Wonder bar. <laughs> basically, basically that. But they're not making a joke. They're actually just. Well, it reminds it. me of like it was that everyone who's played enemy, enemy territory that free Wolfenstein game. We'll probably remember hearing the oh, phrase yeah. "wunderbar" thrown about so many times. Oh, and uh, I uh, and Rosa says like "oh my god" and stuff like that. She's like total Valley Girl mm. accent. It's hilarious, and for some reason, uh, this horrid, very inaccurate translation has somehow stuck around uh, throughout every single port of the game without fail. So I guess it's just a thing now. I guess they gain their accents between Desmos <laughs> 2 and 1. Great. Yeah, whether or not that's canon, I guess, uh, is up for debate. That depends on how good your translators are. Well, let's dive into kind of the gameplay. Like a lot of cave arcade games, the setup is essentially simple. But the cool thing with this game is that uh, because it's horizontal scrolling, one of the things they introduce is that you can, you can fire left or right. 
And so de depending on what direction the screen is scrolling, you always have the option to fire ahead of you or behind you. So the A button fires left, and you can tap for a regular shot, or you can hold for focus shot. And the B button then fires to your right, and again, tap for regular shot, or hold for focus. And then the C button will use your magic, which is essentially the bomb in this game. If you hold A and B down, you will engage the lock shot. And then if you are holding one fire button and you tap the opposite fire button, you will engage the power-up mode, which we'll get into as we go along. Those are the basics. Now, on the later ports, um, they generally include a separate button for activating the power-up mode, and then also uh, the console versions allow you the ability to set specific buttons both for your standard shot or for like a turbo fire, auto fire, which is very helpful. Um, the 1.1 version uh, adds a new feature that gives you the ability to control your familiar, what some people call your option, with the right thumbstick. Uh, that's an interesting change to the game, and I could see that having a lot of possibility. Yeah. It would definitely require some... Um, a, a, a change in the way that you think about the game and approach it in order to do that effectively. Well, I mean, if we're going to talk a little bit about scoring in here, when Vanilla, if you're going the route of the Death Bubble, it's, it's a lot easier to use Windia because Windia has a familiar option that stays closest to her, right? So it's a lot easier to know and predictably swallow up the Death Bullets if you're going for score in Vanilla. Now, the ability to control your familiar brings up a lot of different options in the way that you're going to deal with the de the smiling bullets of death. Or so, <laughs> yeah, it, it really changes up the flow of the game. Yeah. Now, with most cave games and shooters in general, you have one-hit deaths. And you sort of have that in this game, but it's sort of masked in a way that you have essentially one life, but you have three hits. Uh, or three full hits, I guess I would say. And so you kind of get a faux health bar that indicates your number of lives. And so the interesting thing is if you come into contact with an enemy, you only lose half a hit. Whereas if you take damage from an enemy projectile, that's a full hit. But similar to um, similar to when you lose a life in a cave game, with the new life comes a refreshed bomb stock or in this case, magic. 
You can also unlock additional health through play. Um, you get you get a health refill or extend, if you will, at 20 million points, and then again at 45 million points. And there are also a couple of instances where um, you can get health pickups depending on what stage you're playing and what rank level you're playing. Uh, but you can, with the 20 million and the 45 million extends, if you have full health when you achieve those, then you can go up to a maximum of five full hit points. Now, as you take out enemies, that will generate items for you to collect. And there are three different base types of items that you'll get from enemies. You've got skull rings, and those are worth a plus one to the counter that shows up in the bottom left. You've got the crown tiaras, which will give you plus five to that counter. And then you've got the high crowns, or the larger gold crowns, that are worth plus ten. Once that counter reaches a thousand, uh, it'll stay at a thousand, and then you'll get nothing but the high crowns. However, once you're at a thousand, you can also activate power up, which will then increase your damage output, will cause all enemies to give out more items, um, and of course, while power up is engaged, your counter will tick down as it uses up all the items that you've collected. <clears throat> There's also a secondary counter that shows up when you're in power-up mode that essentially uh, gauges the number of items that you're collecting during power-up. And if that counter reaches, uh, I think it's 10,000, then you enter fever mode. And Rena, I was hoping maybe you could explain fever mode a little bit better because I don't know that I have a clear understanding of it. Yeah, all good. Uh, basically, of course, uh, we discussed this. There are two counters. Uh, there's the power counter and the overall counter. Uh, the overall counter is very important for a lot of things in this game. And when you are in power-up mode uh, and you collect enough uh, to add your secondary counter all the way up to 10k, you achieve frenzy mode. Uh, all of the pickups get the full 10,000 bonus. Everything drops uh, them big ol' crowns. It's a good time all around. Uh, though generally, uh, the crowns actually come a little useless just because of how how big the bonus is, it's a really big bonus. Uh, and it gets even bigger in Mega Black Label. It's a little wacky. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you exit Fever Mode either when you, uh, get out of power-up mode, or you take some sort of hit. Uh, either one will drop the overall counter right down to zero. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. And it should be noted that you don't leave Frenzy Mode uh, automatically after a certain period of time. 
which is something to keep into your mind for later because it's going to become very broken in the near future. Okay. Good to know. Um, there are six initial areas to play through in the game, um, each of which has two stages. Uh, and so, um, or I should say six, six stages broken up into three areas and you can choose your difficulty level to a point. And so when you, when you're presented with the map screen, when you first start up, you've got different places that you can select and you can choose level one, level two, or level three. And that's essentially the rank that you're playing that stage at. And so you can start out much easier by playing level one rank, or you can go for more challenging and higher score potential by going up to level two or especially level three. And so you've got chapter one, which is stages A1 and A2. Chapter 2 is stages B1 and B2. And then chapter 3 is C1 and C2. And depending on where you start and what difficulty level you go with, that will kind of help determine your path. And then once you complete those first six areas, chapter 4 is Hades Castle, which is the sort of final area in the game. Then there's also the EX Canyon stage, otherwise known as the Gorge, that you can go to if you want to do additional scoring. And that also includes, uh, there's an ice level in the DLC mode that you can unlock as well. Now, if you go with the level three rank or difficulty, um, and you've played through five stages on level three, then once you... Uh, that's actually incorrect. Oh, it's, it's four. four. Okay. Thank you. Yep, four stages okay. in. So yes, once you reach the fifth stage at level three difficulty, then you start to get uh, revenge bullets. You unlock death mode. And so then every enemy you take out will start spitting out these little star-shaped revenge bullets. And the way to deal with those is by essentially canceling them with your familiar or your option. And so depending on the character you're playing will of course change the strategy because the familiars operate differently for different characters. Yeah, and the, let's see here. There's a couple different ways for you know this, right? We have if you go through the first four stages, you get to level one. Then you got to go through the canyon stage to get through level two. And if you successfully pass the canyon stage, then the last stage, stage seven, will be the uh, death bullets three, at least in vanilla. Yep, that's how it do be. And yep. getting through the canyon stage is such a giant pain in the butt that uh, most people won't do it. Right. Yeah, I, I personally think it's easier to just go higher rank on all the other stages and bypass the canyon <laughs> if you want to go for score. Um, but 
have a better chance of survival. And aren't, aren't the death bullets uh, based upon the air size of the sprite too? Not by when they're destroyed, if I remember correctly? Yeah, I think they're always proportional to the size of the enemy. So small enemies will put out just a handful of revenge bullets, whereas the larger enemies will kind of flood flood them at you. Oh, well they. Oh, there are some exceptions to the rule. Oh? Yeah, the uh, the green bats during uh, Hades Castle uh, spawn a disproportionate amount of uh, bullets uh, compared to their size. It is very silly. They spawn bullets for like two seconds straight. It's super not fun. Okay. Uh, and most most of the gorge enemies also do a similar thing because they like being annoying, specifically enemies on minecarts. Why? Because I guess the game just does not like people, which oh. is fair. I don't like people either. Uh, one other thing to note, um, or a couple of other things to note, uh, revenge bullets, when you're absorbing them, with your familiar, each revenge bullet essentially counts the same as one item to your counter. Um, and I want to say you get like a hundred points per canceled bullet. Um, that's another one to keep in your brain for later. It's another one. Get the cogs turning on right. that one. Keep it in your brain. And then if you go level three all the way through and you go do the gorge when you get to the Hades castle then you'll be in death mode level two which is the highest rank in the game uh not quite the game recognizes I, I think we got it right first the game recognizes three different mode levels of death mode uh there's the first one which you get after completing four stages on level three there's the second one uh, which happens once you finish uh, the, the first canyon. initial uh, six stages. Uh, well, it it happens at either Canyon or Hades Castle, depending on which stage oh. you choose. And Death Mode Level 3 happens if you uh, finish the Gorge. I see. Okay. Well, that's different than the guide that I was looking at. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, just with vanilla, though. It changes with uh, Black Label. Black Label's a whole other right. thing. Black Label's a whole... Black Label handles rank very differently. Yeah. Rank also affects the items that will be available in different stages. Uh, so, depending on what stage and what rank or level you choose, that will affect potentially what's available in those stages. So, by way of example, uh, in the Swamp stage, where you fight Sakura, if you go to that stage on level 2, there's this wrecked car that's sitting there as you get close to the end of the stage. And if you destroy that car, you'll get a life up item uh, if you play that at level 2. Whereas, if you play that at level 3, you'll get a magic item. Uh, similarly, stage A1 
Uh, if you play that as level three, there are two uh, good size um, ogre type enemies or cyclops enemies. Each one of those would will afford you a life up item. So I know there are some people that will strategize based on that so that they'll play A1 last. That way, if they've taken any damage during the lead up to that, they can maybe use that to recover and get back to uh, having full life. Yeah, speaking of level two on there, yeah, Mike Ray's in this, but the the last boss of that, right? Jonah, is, I think is his name. There, at first, I thought someone copied and pasted the last boss of Gradius 2 in there, you know, <laughs> just the giant head. But then he does his best, you know, Gradius volcano impression there. So, oh. uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, where he just starts violently shaking and rocks come out. Right. So I, I, I don't know if that was a nod to uh, just how. Um, E- sort of like easy the last bosses of Gradius games are <laughs> or on there but it, that boss in particular stuck with that and of course uh, Mary the Cow you know beef it's what's for dinner <laughs> but it, it, it's <laughs> it's uh, uh, this game is just full of quirkiness oh yeah that's one way to put it <laughs> um, each character has different speeds based on whether you're using your standard shot or your focus shot, and that changes further when you're in power-up mode. Um, So, interestingly enough, there are a couple of characters that, while in power-up, will move faster when you're focus shot versus standard shot, which is interesting. So it's a little bit different uh, setup than most other games. Yeah, th- this is, uh, I think we touched upon this earlier, but Death Mouse has been called shmup weed or, you know, a gateway shmup because of how easy it is to get into. I mean, you could do a pretty easy one credit clear if you practice enough on here. It, at least playing for survival, it, it's not too hard. But the scoring system and taking advantage of it is where the true death of this game lies. And I, I mean, we talked earlier about games that are, you know, easy to start, hard to master, and that's one that and keep you coming back. You know, games like Project Steel or uh, Project Starship X or Gunvane, and I, I think this is why this game hit, continues to hold that appeal. Is with yes, you can play it for survival but to get the most out of it you got to really learn the intricacies of the scoring system yeah yeah I would agree with that yeah that's why I'm here (laughs) Uh, one of the differences with 1.1 is that you'll get revenge bullets as soon as you go with level 3 so you don't have to play level 3 for any length of time you just immediately start getting revenge bullets yeah 1.1 is basically an entire separate game it might as well be in a range mode Uh, it changes a lot actually yeah and something that I put in here with a question mark is 
when I was messing with it, it seems like maybe power-up mode drains faster in 1.1? Well, uh, no it doesn't actually, but technically kind of. Uh, you see, this is actually a byproduct of the slowdown. Uh, and why the uh, arcade accurate ports are very, very important for this game. Uh, when the game lags out, uh, it gives you more time in power-up mode. So if you know what you're doing, uh, you can extend your power-up mode if you lag the game uh, as much as possible. So I imagine why you probably saw that 1.1 uh, had... Uh, faster drain on power isn't because the power actually drains any faster than it would normally uh but because you probably didn't uh because the scoring is so different uh and it was built for uh xbox 360 so slowdown's a little less intense uh that you probably probably did drain a little faster kind of uh in that weird way and that's why the arcade original is the highest scoring version of the game Thank you for my, watching my TED talk. <laughs> this is also my petition for other people to pay for uh, an arcade board of the original game to put it in my house. Uh, thank you. I'll see you on GoFundMe. <laughs> oh, and then Mega Black Label, since we mentioned that earlier in terms of rank, that adds the instead of just level 1, 2, and 3, that adds level 999 rank, which means revenge bullets right from the jump, uh, aggressive and fast enemies, uh, but of course high scoring. So I think that's the real meat of Mega Black Label, is that level 999 and giving a more hardcore experience and uh, score focused players really the opportunity to dig in and uh, and kind of give you that really intense experience actually you'd be surprised you don't have to rely on level 999 rank to get a good score and make a black label it's actually surprisingly not that big of a deal uh, which sounds crazy, but it's kind of true, since the most that level 999 does is spawn a lot of, uh... A spa it spawns a lot, a lot of death mode bullets. But the thing is, uh, with the revised scoring system, death mode bullets no longer matter even a little bit. So, hopping into level 999, uh, for like a couple stages, I believe, is uh, somewhat lucrative, but you actually don't have to stay in level 999 for most of the game, actually. Maybe like one stage or two stages. Uh, it's really mostly for people who just thought that the game was too easy, which... Eh, <laughs> maybe they've never played Gorge. We'll give them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. Okay, so... From your experience, what are some key things that people should know when approaching this game, or some key strategies that you think are important for people to use? 
First of all, please buy the correct port of the game. Please, please, please buy Decimals 1 and 2. I know it looks intimidating because it's two games in one, but please, it's the only version of the game that actually runs correctly. <laughs> I'm begging. Uh, aside from that, though, uh, when it comes to survival, uh, don't just kind of go down the list of like, oh, the first two levels are going to be level one. You don't have to do that. If you're just going for a clear, make the stages that you struggle the most the level one stages. Because if you're not going for score, if you're not going for the score extends, then you don't have to worry about playing any of the stages on level three. So you can choose which stages you want to be easier. Minus Hades Castle. You will always suffer a Hades <laughs> Castle. I'm sorry, I can't help you there. <laughs> uh, but if you do find any, uh, if you do find interest in trying to get the score extends because you just feel like uh, you need them, uh, which I don't think you really need them for Death Smiles. It's a pretty chill game if you uh, kind of hang out at level 1 and level 2. But if you really feel like you need them, uh, go to the Volcano. The Volcano is where all score extends come to you. Uh, because of the way the stage is laid out, if you, uh, if you uh, go into power-up mode at the beginning of the stage after killing the initial popcorn enemies, uh, those fountains of rocks, uh, they become fountains of points. Uh, it's the most lucrative stage in the game because of that. Now there are some advanced strategies that uh, revolve around the stage with refreshes and stuff like that. It's a bunch of dumb stuff you don't have to worry about. Just like, press the power up button once you get past like, I wanna, like, once you get the second fountain of rocks off screen, just press the power-up button and go to town. Uh, you'll get those score extends right away. It, you'll go right into frenzy mode and you'll get to chillax a little bit because it makes the stage a lot easier because most of the challenge of the stage is the rocks. And uh, bonus, uh, you don't actually take any uh, impact damage when you're in power-up mode. You can just phase through things all you like, uh, which really does a number on the game's uh, difficulty in that stage. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, and that was something I was going to bring up. I'm glad you mentioned that because that also changes the strategies that you can use for those uh, volcano rock deals. Because what I've seen other players do is set up to where, since you don't take damage, you can actually set your character up to fire the same direction the rocks are coming out. That way... They're getting destroyed as they're coming up to you and your fire, but that way if there are enemies coming from the other direction, you can take those out more quickly and eliminate those threats as well. So it's kind of a two-for-one deal. It really do be. Uh, some other strategies. Uh, <laughs> uh choose if you are trying to go for the score extends uh please choose level two at least one time don't go into death mode if you don't have to it's just it's just way too much trouble for what it's worth in survival just don't bother there's no need <laughs> it's really just making your life harder for no reason because the only reason you want to go for death mode is if you are scoring otherwise it's Otherwise, you're just making the game harder for yourself, which I mean, okay, I like making the game harder for myself, but I don't think you want to if you want to make the 
the 1cc. Now, if you're going for score, however, uh, it's time to wane off the, uh, the level 1 and levels 2. Because the death mode bullets become very integral. Even if you aren't playing optimally in the final stages, uh, another, remember, we're pulling it back out of our mind, uh, death mode bullets count, uh, as pickups. And you know where pickups go to? That's right, your power-up counter. So, even if you're not uh, going for the super hyper-optimal uh, I hate myself strats for the final two levels, uh, you can still play them uh, very nicely if you uh, if you space out your power-ups correctly. Uh, you can you, usually, if you don't get both of the score extends, uh, by the first six uh, chapters somehow uh, using power mode, you will definitely get it in Hades Castle for sure. If you're still going uh, for power mode and you've uh, you're enjoying the fruits of the death mode labor, uh, because it makes makes power ups a lot more frequent. It allows you to sort of play a little more aggressively with it without having to rely on very complicated strategies which we'll go into later we're gonna get into the actual meat of the scoring later uh so keep anyways put the put the fact of uh death mobiles counting as uh bullets put it back in your brain we're not done with it yet we i'm sure we will be soon we're not done with it yet though uh for score though uh uh if you're just going for score to get the extends don't go to the gorge don't do it it's a terrible it's a terrible stage. Don't do it. It's just hard. It's not fun. Don't do it. <laughs> now, if you really really want the big score, however, uh you will learn to love the gorge. You will learn to love it like a significant other because that is how much you will be playing it in practice mode. I would know I have been in practice mode against the gorge for 2 years of my life and I still struggle with it and it still makes me question why I even play death smiles. But it's something you'll have to get used to if you want to get the big boy scores because it's a whole other stage and it gives you a whole lot more death mode bullets and that's right, death mode bullets is free score every single time. The more the better. Uh, let's see, anything else? Not really. Uh, make sure you're right on, eh. make sure you're routing out your stages well. Uh, you could be missing out on free pickups, uh, free lives. Uh, if you route out uh, your first six stages incorrectly, uh, make sure to look up uh, where those lives are because it depends uh, where those lives are does depend on what order you go in the stages. So you could be missing out on some free lives and you could never know it. Usually the game's pretty generous. I, I want to say that there's like some some form of life up item, at least in most of the stages if you pick them as like the second to last stage but i might be entirely wrong with that uh and it is easy you can miss them you can completely miss all of the life up pickups if you just route incorrectly which is a bummer but it is a fact so it's something else to consider aside from that not much else to say if you're before we get into like the actual shmeat of the scoring uh <laughs> Before we uh, get into the actual, the the big bone, the meat bone on the, uh, of the scoring. Right. Yeah, I, just touching on the gorge briefly, 
I tried the gorge a couple oh. of times. Um, I'm so just sorry. Once when I was just credit feeding through the game, just so I could see it. And then once more legitimately to see, okay, is there any possible way that I can deal with this stage? <laughs> and the answer is no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that's one of those things where if I was able to route the game correctly for score, focusing on level three everywhere so I could get to death mode. And I got to the point where I could do everything pretty cleanly. Then that would be the sort of extra challenge that I might want to take on to boost my score even higher. Because of course, with as many opportunities as there are in that stage to clean up death bullets, um, you know, there's a lot additional potential for score there. But, yeah. The canyon is a bit of a pipe dream right now. The canyon sure is a stage that Cave put in the game. They sure did that. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but they sure did. Uh, Addicted, did you mess with the, the canyon at all? I know my limits, you kidding? <laughs> ah, I see. The only sane person in the call. <laughs> Understandable. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess, Addicted, did you have any other, any other insights or observations on uh, Death Smile's gameplay? Uh, I just... As I mentioned earlier, I just found it pretty approachable for doing a survival run. But as far as scoring system on there, I, you know, my eyes started to glaze over after a little bit. Just trying to do stuff. And then after I thought about why the car was there and why the car was exploding on that one stage, it even glazed over even more. I have bad news about the rest of the the podcast. It's going to get really technical. <laughs> well, before we jump into the too technical, let's just touch on the uh, the graphics and sound for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot we were supposed to be having <laughs> fun here. Uh, yeah, continue. Uh, it's okay. We can do the dissertation later. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean the the graphics. Excellent. No, the graphics are. Pretty nice. They display at 240p, you know, the best type of P. Since it was arcade cabinets with CRT monitors, the graphics are a little chunky, a little chunky sprites. And some details can be difficult to make up. But, you know, honestly, I, I thought it was pretty good, but I thought the City Connection port did a wonderful job of uprising and making sure everything wasn't uh, less chunk chunkified. You know, normal mode on the console ports is, the, as we mentioned, the HD glow-up of the arcade with a lot more detail and characters and backgrounds and the animation is easier to appreciate. The levels themselves have a lot of variety. It's not like, oh, look, it's your <clears throat> water level. Oh, it's the ice level. Oh, it's a forest level, but this time it's blue. There's... A lot of detail to this, and you really get the environments that you're looking for. 
No, the, there are a good variety of the locations. Sometimes they're bright and colorful, like the Halloween Town, and others a bit more subdued and very atmospheric, like the Swamp. And there's things that are just plain weird, like the uh, trolley slash train level with Mary. <laughs> I it it does a very good job of doing of managing the gothic style horror, and I, I think it really gives me Burton vibes. No, if there was like a hidden Edward Scissorhands in the back or something like that, I would, uh, or Jack Skellington, I wouldn't be surprised. The bosses themselves are pretty good with good good animation and design. I like the design of the Cyclopses on there, especially when you're playing your way through the Demon Castle later on. Uh, some of the uh, character art is uh, interesting, <laughs> but uh, I believe the correct PC term here is risque. And it, yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's it's not quite as out there as Automatius, but it uh, certainly is. Uh, would have put a shock in. Uh, 2010 when this came out to uh, Western audiences and as was mentioned the marketing is uh, didn't do much to help that I mean honestly the in-game art is mostly fine I think it's more the advertising where there was a little bit too much emphasis put on younger characters being sexualized and I kind of mentioned this that I have the same problem with Mushihime-sama with Reiko kind of being maybe a little bit too overtly uh, sexy if you will uh, in the design and presentation and that's one of the reasons why I prefer the the art generally speaking in Mushifatari better because even though there's still an element of that, the character design is a little bit less obvious in that way, and she seems more like just a fun-loving young girl instead of this, uh, you know, the art with all the sort of come-hither kind of looks that you see in some of the marketing materials for the original Mushi. Now, if you... I, I honestly I do not understand it's so weird to me because it is not in the games at all like even a little bit the I think Death Smiles is the closest we actually get to anything relating to that sort of content actually in the game and even then it is milk toast mild stuff uh, compared to the marketing material but for some reason when Kane pulls out the marketing budget uh uh, everything goes out the window, and I do not know why it is. I do not know why why they keep doing this. It is very strange to uh, me. Y- you know, I would say compare it to something that really did cause a stir, which is Dragon's Crown. Remember the art for that, and then what people were saying about that stuff. The you know the the sorceress with uh, massive back problems, <laughs> and the uh, like everything that was like over the top. Right. In that art style. So compared to that, Death Smiles is nothing. At least with Dragon's Crown, I can kind of see it from the standpoint that you could 
you could make the case that the exaggerations in that art style, they lean into it a little bit to the point where you might also consider it self-parody. Because if you look at other Vanillaware games, they don't really do that. They have really nice stylized art, but Dragon's Crown is the one that sort of takes it to a whole new level. So you could look at it in the way that they're sort of playing into that because it's a bit of a, a parody. You know, I was sort of thinking that it, and they would call it Parodius, but then I realized that they did do that with Parodius and they called it Odomedius. Right. Uh, now, I will say, if I remember correctly, one character in the game, one of the endings, has a scene where they're all sort of in a bathhouse or something like that. Yeah, I think that's the worst it gets. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's not... It's not explicit or anything like that. Yeah, it's not It's not even, like, terrible. It's just right. weird. It's just mildly subject or suggestive. Uh, so, yeah, that's the worst that it gets in the game. But it's more the marketing materials. <laughs> I mean... Every the, time. In the new City Connection port... I noticed that one of the screens you go to, I want to say it was the one, the option screen where I was going in and you can, you can choose the soundtracks that there's a picture with all the characters, uh, kind of in a group together. And, um, Follette is looking a little bit more, um, Yeah. Anyway, it's those kinds of things that, <laughs> that bother me. I realize they're just fictional characters, but when they're fictional characters are supposed to be minors and they're treated in that way, it just feels a little bit wrong to me. A little sus, dare yeah. I say. A little sussy vodka. Yeah. It, it, if I may. It would just, and I realize that Cultural mores are different between cultures, so this is more of a thing in Japan than it is generally here in the West. Um, but it still feels kind of skeezy to me. Skeezy is one way to put it about some feelings you could have about that. That's that's I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah. Well, let's just put... It's really weird. <laughs> Please stop doing it, Japan. I'm begging you. Please. Just one time. Yes. Please. So if you beat the game and get the true ending, does Stone Phillips come into your room? Say what? <laughs> Stone Phillips? You know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. He's the guy who always come in on To Catch a Predator. Oh. Yep. All right, we can cut that joke off. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Uh, you choose the good ending in Desmos, too. Chris Hansen walks in and asks you about the brownies. <laughs> uh, I had to lock them out a few times. Oh, jeez. Yeah, the, the, the endings and stuff is, it's, I don't know, it's weird. I don't know, but, you know, 
I think we've had this discussion before, and I think that you know, if you spent so much so much time alone on an island, you'd think of some pretty weird stuff too. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. Really, kind of be like that. That is all to say that Deathmiles is my problematic fave. It gets even worse when you take them to Deathmiles too into consideration, but we don't get to talk about that yet. Oh, we'll wait till December. We'll wait till December before I start roasting my also problematic. That's one way to make it December to remember. (laughs) (laughs) A December to remember. Uh, questioning Death Smiles 2 on why they all look like they're four. Oh, yes. Very strange. But that's a different month. Yep. Or a different year. <laughs> Depending on what you guys decide to do. <laughs> if you even decide to cover Death Smiles 2 ever. Which I wouldn't blame you for not doing it. Because it's a little weird. <laughs> but it would make me happy. <laughs> That aside, we can't keep getting sidetracked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's a soundtrack, apparently. It's very good. It's a very good soundtrack. Manabu Namiki coming in clutch for the W one more time, as per usual. Never misses. Not one single time. Tell me one time uh, that man has missed. Never. Doesn't happen. Yeah, I... I haven't heard anything from Manabu Namiki that I didn't like. And this soundtrack just continues that streak and I really enjoy it it's one of the things that keeps me coming back it just sounds great oh so good and one thing that I really appreciate about it is that there are a lot of moods in this soundtrack you get a good variety between levels that are much more in that sort of gothic kind of mode you get stuff that's a little bit more typical video gamey kind of of approach and then there's like short well and then you get which is and then you get a couple of the levels that are straight up like gothic heavy metal which i love um and then and then of course you get to the end of the game when you get to Tyranno Satan, and it's Toccata and Fugue in D minor from Bach, which is amazing. It's uh, it's my favorite detail of the game. Everyone mentions it, and for good reason. It's a perfect capstone. It is a beautiful Halloween moment. Oh, in video game yeah. history. Mwah. And also, you have a dinosaur crossed with Satan. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It sounds like they... Who could say I no? swear that should be probably the last boss from Bonk 4 that was just stolen. <laughs> now, in the new versions, the City Connection version, that also includes, with the DLC mode, the uh, Gothic Wa Maho Atome uh, DLC you also get the Gomaatsu and Gomaatsu Arrange soundtracks, which take a different approach. 
I didn't like those as well as the original, but they both had some good tracks. But on both of those arrangements, the track that plays on the first half of Hades Castle is the same, and it is a fully voiced and uh, sung track, and that song is a banger. I don't know what it's called, but it's fantastic, and yeah, I could listen to that all day. Actually, uh, do you know offhand, uh, does, uh, does the Gomatsu version arrangements, are they the same ones from the arranged CD from the collector's edition, or is that a different I'm not sure. Because the, uh, the, as I learned, literally last month, as I put the CD into a CD player for the first time, uh, the CD isn't a straight rip, uh, it's an arrangement. Uh, and for some reason, it comes, uh, it comes with, uh, despite advertising itself only as just, uh, Death Smile soundtrack, it even comes with the, uh, Ice Cavern music, uh, which is unarranged, strangely enough. Everything else is arranged, but that oh. one isn't. It's really weird. Yeah. It's a really weird CD. I love it, but it's really weird See, CD. And there are, there are two or three different Death Smiles arrangements on CD, that have been released. Um, so I'm not sure how the one that's packed in with the Xbox 360 limited edition compares to the official Japanese releases. Very strange. Very quirky. Keep it up. <laughs> They're all great, though. Uh, all of them are very nice. Uh, I'm a big fan of all the soundtracks. To some degree, it's Death Smiles, baby. I can't, uh, I can't say no to that. Oh yeah. One thing that I noticed, at least in the the base game, is that some of the shot sound effects were a little bit loud in the mix, just by default. But at least on the console versions, it's nice that you can go in and adjust your music sound effects, and voice volume individually. Thank goodness, because uh, I do agree. <laughs> oh. It gets loud. It's a loud uh, game. It's a fun game. It's a and loud game. one other minor note that I'll mention. When I was playing and streaming the game, uh, of course, my streaming setup is going to be different than most people's regular setup to play. But I have my PS4 hooked up to an HDMI switch and then I have that going out to a splitter and then I'm I'm pulling audio from the splitter to go into my audio interface and then that's what I'm using to feed my stream. For whatever reason, on the PS4 version specifically, I was only getting music. No sound effects, no voices. Um, I don't know why, and I tried multiple settings on the PS4 and the different settings on the splitter, and I could never get anything more than just the music. But when I run on the Switch, it's fine. So it's probably something specific to the way the game audio is mixed and presented on the PS4 version and how that interacts with my setup versus 
how it's done on the Switch. Probably because the Switch, I'm guessing, doesn't have uh, as full audio support in terms of surround sound and all that. So, probably not a big deal for 90 plus percent of listeners out there, but if you have weird streaming setup like I do, it may be something to keep in mind. Yeah, that was super weird. I tried looking for what might be causing that. I have no clue. This is the first time I've ever seen yeah. that happen. I have no idea what's up with that. And I haven't seen that with any other game. So it's just a quirk with this particular this particular game. Alright. Yeah, let's dive headlong into scoring and uh, mm-hmm. regale us with the uh, the nitty gritty. Ah, the nitty gritty. Oh, I'm so sorry you have to record for another hour. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so what does scoring death smiles look like? It depends on how good you are. Uh, the main method of scoring for the first six levels is mostly through power-up mode. Uh, we've talked about the counters already. You got the uh, you got the power up counter. You got the overall counter. You get the power up counter up to a thousand. You go into power up mode. You get the overall up counter to ten thousand. You go to frenzy mode. You go to town. Uh, and a lot of the scoring in the first six levels revolves around that loop. Uh, you want to make sure that every time you go into power up mode, you are always going to frenzy mode, and you know you can capitalize on that as much as possible because you know getting the frenzy mode for like two seconds is not not very helpful uh and the main principle around that is letting crowns break uh whether you're uh in just in power mode or you're in frenzy mode you want the crowns to break on the ground and that seems counterintuitive but uh for both stages it is very beneficial because the crowns, uh, big or small, when they land on the ground, they break into rings. Uh, but they break into more rings. Like, uh, the silver crowns, like the little hearts, they break into two rings. And the golden crowns, they break into four rings. And that is more pickups. And you know what more pickups does? That's right, it's more that goes to your overall counter. And the faster you can get up to 10,000, the better. So that's why you want them to break on the ground when you're trying to get into frenzy mode. Now when you're in frenzy mode, you also still want them to break. Because the bonus that you get on every single pickup is so ludicrously ridiculous that it is way more worth to just have more pickups than to actually have the pickups be worth anything. They could be worth one point and it would be infinitely more lucrative to pick up more of them just because of the insane 10,000 point bonus you get on every single pickup. Letting, because you're in frenzy mode, everything is going to be a golden crown, which means everything breaks into four skull rings, and picking up one crown, which is like 5,000 points, plus uh, 10,000, that's 15,000 points. Very good, but if you let it to break into skulls, then you get all those, they're like 100 points each, so it's like you get 400 points total but the bonus the bonus you get since you get 10,000 on all of them in total you get 40,400 in points 
very much better. Way more lucrative. When it comes to scoring in the first six stages, a lot of it is routing, so you can let things break on the ground. It is surprisingly hard to just let things break on the ground, because when you're in power-up mode, you have this light vacuum towards you, where everything is like, oh, you want to pick up the power-ups, it's, oh, make number go big, but you must say no, no, be gone, go away, for you all shall not help me in this state. And you want to let them break on the ground, so you can pick them up, and it's mucho grande for your delicious score. And of course, you want to be staying in power mode as long as possible. So, uh, the way you do that is through refreshes. Uh, refreshes are not fun. They're the worst part of the scoring, outside of what we're going to talk about later, because we're only halfway done. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> refreshes are important, uh, so you can keep... Uh, the cycle going uh, throughout the basically the whole game uh, you're going to mostly be doing refreshes to keep yourself in power up mode all the time the way it works is you want to kill a bunch of enemies on screen all at once whether that be through a bomb or they just happen to be in a cluster or whatever but you want to do that right before your power up mode ends because if you're in frenzy everything's gonna drop golden crowns and golden crowns are very good for getting your power-up counter up to snap so you want to get all the golden crowns on the screen you then uh, get out of power-up mode and then you can pick up all those golden crowns and get right back to the action it is a lot harder than you think it is uh, because the most common way uh, for getting a refresh is through a bomb which means you have to time your bomb and uh, <laughs> It is uh, notoriously difficult because when you time your bomb is very precise and it will differ from run to run because of just how uh, intricate that uh, the play is with the overall counter. You can come out, like just as an example, uh, the volcano stage we were just talking about earlier. Halfway through, you can do a refresh uh, off of a series of eyeballs. Uh, but you can come into that stage with a wide variety of things on your overall counter. Even differences of like a hundred on the overall counter will change at what point you're going to be doing the bomb because it changes what time you're activating your power up, how much overall counter up, uh, how much overall counter you have when you have your power up, how much how quickly it takes to get into frenzy mode, which affects how the lag works. It's a whole thing. <laughs> So it's very much uh, vibes that you go off of when you're trying to pull off a refresh, uh, which makes them very annoying uh, because they're also really precise. Bombs will kill your power-up. If you bomb while you're in power mode, that number will shoot almost directly down to zero, which is what makes them so good for power-ups uh, or what makes them so good for refreshes because you can bomb and then bada bing bada boom, your uh, power-up counters shooting down to zero while bombs are getting, uh, while power-ups are getting spawned, uh, from killing the enemies. It's great, uh, but <laughs> because it's, uh, so precise and the window where the bomb actually kills enemies is kind of wishy-washy. <laughs> it's a little wishy-washy. Uh, when the bomb will actually kill enemies once the when the hitbox actually comes out and kills things you have to time that when your 
power up counter is essentially at like 5, 10, 15. Uh, and even then, it gets even worse. Uh, it's not a full screen thing. Uh, it's not even like a full screen. Oh, it just like paints like a giant red hip uh, hitbox and it kills all the enemies all at once. No, uh, it has a sort of like it has sort of like an outward explosion. So things that are closer to the center of the bomb will die quicker than enemies that are farther away from the center of the bomb. Uh, which also means you can aim your bombs. So it gets even worse because now you have to actively think about where you're aiming your bombs. And don't worry, we're only halfway done with the explanation. We haven't even talked about death mode. Are you guys still awake? <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. Anyways, death mode. Very important. There are two ways to capitalize off of death mode once you get there. The first, as we explained earlier, is that you can keep cruising along innocently as if nothing bad will ever happen on the power-up mode train. You can choo-choo all the way to the bank and take home a pretty respectable score uh, just by cruising along on death mode bullets because, of course, they count as pickups, which means they add to your power-up counter. And that means they also add to your overall counter when you're in power-up mode, which means you're getting frenzy and you're getting power-up mode a lot easier. It's also a lot easier to get refreshes. It It's great. It's it's great. It's nice and calm. Uh, but uh, that's because we have not gotten to the deep, dark uh, under underbelly of scoring and death smiles where everything starts to go straight to hell <laughs> and uh, you stop having fun. Uh, so we're going to pull out those two those two pickets of knowledge that we have uh, kept from earlier. Uh, one, of course, death mode uh, bullets count as pickups and two, power up, uh, your overall counter doesn't reset on its own. It has to be reset by either dying or coming out of power-up mode. So, big thing, once you get death mode going, uh, instead of ever touching power-up again, you can just not. You can just not power-up. And if you take your way through the gorge, and if you take your way through Hades Castle, you can actually, by like halfway through the gorge, have cancelled so many death mode bullets that you will reach frenzy without ever going into power-up mode. You will get to 10,000 on the overall counter without ever going into power-up mode. And this completely breaks the game. It ruins everything because the scores you can get by just chilling, mad chilling, soaking up as many death mode bullets as possible once you get death mode activated is absolutely ludicrous. When, when we talk about scores with the power-up mode, we're like, oh, you know, we're getting the, like, the hundred, hundred millions, you know? It's a good time. Uh, with the death mode bullet strategy where you never go into power-up mode, we're talking about trillions of points. It's that big of a difference because the game will just throw that many bullets at you, especially in the last two stages of the game. Now, you may notice the problem here. <laughs> And that problem being that your counter resets to zero if you die. <laughs> so, uh, the moment you activate death mode, you cannot die for the rest of the game. You must no miss the rest of the game. 
And while you're doing that, you are actively making the game as hard as possible by making sure that you get as many death mode bullets spawn on screen as you can reasonably manage with. And this also means no missing the gorge, which, quite frankly, I feel like should be illegal in at least 17 different <laughs> countries. But here we are. And that whole thing constitutes the majority of the grind. <laughs> Getting to that level. Because it's, it's two different echelons of good scoring. You got, the, you got the great people who are just great with power up mode, and those people went on to go play the better game, Mega Black Label, because it doesn't have this issue. But Death Smiles does in fact have this issue. And you got the super Omega players, uh, who can no miss the entire game, even in death mode level 2 and 3. And uh, I, 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 I quite frankly, I don't know what they're on. I would like to have some, honestly, because I've been grinding at the Gorge for two years, and I still haven't no-missed it, and quite frankly, I'm having a little bit of a mental breakdown over it, so talking about it helps me cope a little bit. <laughs> and now, I think we're finally done with scoring. That's the gist. Any questions? No, that pretty much sums it up. Um, thank you. I mean, that, that covered everything that I had in the notes, and then some. <clears throat> So I'm glad to get a, a a treatise on the scoring because I know there were definitely a, a couple of things I was missing. Finally, it all matters again. <laughs> it's not useless, Mom. I told you. <laughs> all right. Uh. So anyways, what's your impressions of Death Smiles? <laughs> what are your thoughts on the game? Well, I, I'll reserve that for, for final thoughts when we close up. Uh, but first, let, oh, let's hear more. from the, uh, the community who played along with us. So, Mighty Squirrel said on Discord, Death Smiles is smacking me pretty good. It's embarrassing. I'm way better on other games than I ever have, but I'm doing way worse than my recorded 12-year-old run uploaded to YouTube. Um, and then later, uh, responding to a comment from BB, I've been having the opposite issue. I recorded a 78 mil game a long time ago, and I'm nowhere close to it now. It's especially frustrating because I know I'm a lot better at shmups than back then. I got a 1cc Batrider on normal under my belt now. No idea why I'm having a difficult time with this game. Death Smiles is deceptively difficult because everyone tells you it's baby game. So you convince yourself, oh, it's an easy shmup then. It should be not an issue whatsoever. And oh, oh, have you not seen the horrors yet? Yeah, I, I think... I think it's easy to a point, but you got to remember you're still playing a Don Maku game and there's still the issue of the difficulty spike when you get to Jeerbug and especially Tyranno Satan. Yeah, it gets rough. Uh, even then, the stages will catch you off guard. Uh, the level design is surprisingly mean sometimes. Yeah. Our next 
thoughts come from BB. I had a go for the first time in a long time and got 38 million. Died on Jitterbug. This game is a bit easier than I remember, to be honest. Well, I improved then, which is nice. I had another go and doubled my score, even though I didn't make it quite as far. I made it to the ballroom scene in the Hades Castle. If you think the Hades Castle is tough normally, try picking rank 3 for every level prior. Revenge bullets everywhere. Ah, you mean my default experience with the game for the past (laughs) three years. Yeah, I feel that. It's painful. It's suffering. That's why I call myself a masochist. I saw a guide on Steam which explained a little. It sounds like know when to use shot and when to use laser and then when you need to use hyper. First run I had forgotten there's even a normal shot and just held the shot button down the entire time. I know some enemies don't drop collectibles when killed. Does that mean I kill them with the wrong fire type? There's only some enemies that drop pickups. I don't think we've it is actually, this, but yeah, there are there is specific fire types that you're supposed to be using, right? Can you explain a little more? Yes, of course. Uh, because Death Smiles isn't mean enough uh, for the first six stages of the game when it actually matters, uh, you want to kill certain enemies with the proper shot type. There's an entire table, and uh, <laughs> the table is very mean. <laughs> Each enemy has a certain shot type that when you kill it with will drop more pickups uh but this this changes i believe with rank and with power oh wait no no that's right it changes with power up and it changes with frenzy uh so (laughs) the game gets meaner and meaner every day uh it doesn't matter a crazy amount unless you're just in the opening stages uh and for like a select few enemies it definitely matters uh, for instance, the large earth mounds in uh, the Forest of the Lost, you definitely have to kill them with the lock-on shot. Otherwise, you'll get basically nothing from them. And if you do kill them with the lock-on shot, they are some of the most lucrative enemies in the game. It's very it's very strange. Uh, but yeah, every enemy, you gotta kill them with a specific shot type, and what shot type you have to kill them with changes depending on whether you are uh, just normal, or you're powered up, or you're frenzied. Although, in general, it doesn't matter too much, especially once you get to Frenzy, because at that point everything's dropping crowns, so it's just a matter of how many crowns they drop. And even then, usually you don't have to worry about uh, lock-on shot or anything outside of those mounds. Never forget the mounds. Huh. I wonder how many points the Burger King crown is worth. Oh, you have <laughs> no idea. Uh, that is to say... Not as much as if it broke on the ground into eight skull rings. Ah, of course. Alright, our last thoughts from BB. Weak score, but I got the normal mode 1cc just now. I know Steam says I have only played the game for 3.4 hours. Could have sworn it was a lot more than that. Yeah, the grind is slow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Orc Commander chimed in briefly and said... Haven't played this for a couple of years, but I remembered some aspects of my survival route. No funny comments. Just <laughs> nice. And Super Goat has some comments here. It's so funny. I bought Death Miles for the 360 years ago when I was set up my cabinet, but I didn't fully get how to play arcade games at home at the time, so I basically credit fed my way through and was done with it. I now also own on PC and iOS. iOS is um, interesting. 
There's no slowdown, so it's harder in parts. But there's an autobomb, which makes some stuff easier. The iOS curses. They, the iOS port is absolutely <laughs> cursed. It is a surreal experience. Once you've actually played Death Smiles at least one time, going to the iOS port, it feels like someone accidentally pressed the fast-forward button. It's absolutely insane playing the iOS port. It's also a little finicky. Uh, I would not recommend it unless you just... I guess like playing inaccurate ports. It's it's a really weird port. There's like a whole like room that you get to decorate in one of the modes. It's so weird. It's so microtransaction-y. Huh. Wonder if that was the uh, inspiration for the uh, Iori's room component in the M2 Esperade port. Ah, let's see. Fomacho said, Big gains in Death Smiles for me today. I've got a good idea of patterns and routes, so I'm getting to stage 4 at full or near full health. Getting to Jitterbug, a bit banged up though, and haven't got past there yet. Finished with a 3cc on my PB, close to a 2cc. Uh, you know how your play crumbles after losing a run. Uh, playing the original mode on PS4 release. Uh, it's not a real thing yet, but I cleared the final boss on a single credit during practice. I gotta do that a few more times, then I'll try some runs this weekend. The restart option is pretty good. I restart at the 4-2 uh, with the dancers, and then get back to the boss attempt. Not perfect, but better than the actual practice mode. You are unfortunately correct. It is better than the actual practice mode. The practice mode is one of the worst practice modes I've ever seen, and it makes me question my sanity every time I open it. And I don't know why it's like that. Why couldn't they just make a good practice mode? I'm begging, please. I just want to practice your game. Please. It's uh, very silly. And then the final thoughts here. Interesting game. I got a clear on November 1st. I tried real hard to get it on Halloween, but just needed one more day. My route was C1, A2, B1, B2, A1, C2, with the two B stages at level 2 and the rest at level 3 for a PB of 83,454,150 with Windia in the original mode of the PS4 release. So many variables to define the game I actually played. For the first half of the month, I hadn't watched anyone else play and was just learning the game on my own. I definitely did not pick up on the proper strategy of using and timing the power-up mode. It's an interesting balance in that playing for score got me into a better rhythm to play the game and improve. I'd love to come back to this to try the other modes sometime. People playing Mega Black Label were really racking up the scores. I played this all with a PS5 controller, and a D-pad is not the best input method for the micro-movements needed to dodge during the bullet hell patterns. I managed, but it's finally time to get a full-sized arcade stick. Absolutely. Funny thing about that, I play on pad. <laughs> I play on pad because I play the Xbox 360 port. Not for long though. I I own the uh, I own the uh, the Switch port now, so now nice. I'm moving over so I can go play pad on the Switch, uh. of course. Uh, though, 
no, but uh, really, uh, you don't need, uh, just a reminder, I guess, you don't need a fully sized arcade stick to do well. Uh, I play on pad and I do just fine. Uh, it's something to get used to, but, uh, you know, I will admit I do have a preference toward my arcade stick. I bought it for, uh, <laughs> I bought it for fighting games and uh, it has proved invaluable in the uh, shoot 'em up genre. Oh man, something about it just hits with me. But you don't right. need it. You don't need it. Always remember, uh, if you think you need an arcade stick to do better, you're just coping. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely improved in some ways by learning to play stick over the last couple of years. But when I was having trouble with the my arcade stick on PS4 recently, I switched back to pad because I've got a Hori Fighting Commander and I'm getting along okay with that. Not bad. Anyways, yeah, go play Mega Black Label 2. It's the objectively better game. (laughs) And now that we have a method to actually play it with proper slowdown, there's... I don't don't know. I don't know if there's much of a reason to play the original. Mega Black Label's so fun. And the second half of the game doesn't make me question my my life as nearly (laughs) as much. You still with us, Addicted? Yeah, no, I am definitely here. I, I, you know, I've I have played with Pat for a while, and I get the feeling if I start going down the rabbit hole of uh, buying arcade sticks, I'll, I'll just uh, end up, you know, like Mark MSX in the shed somewhere. Going, if if it's not Korean, it's Kusuke. <laughs> I'm sorry, addicted, but there are no Korean backdashes in Death Smiles. Oh no. Yep. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's uh, <clears throat> sorry. No, I, I mostly play w- with a pad there. I have a um, use a Steam port and use the uh, X1 pad that I have, which is just a A power, you know, <clears throat> Xbox One third party control and that works pretty well. I tried the PS4 port and that worked pretty well. I have the Switch port but didn't fire it up because uh, it's attached to the uh, 4K TV, and anytime I try and play SDGs on a large 4K TV, things just get lost. I personally prefer playing on a smaller display for SDGs. Something, you know, like anywhere between 20 and like maybe 30 inches max. It's just too hard to keep focus on where the bullets are. It's sort of like if you're... For me... To do, uh, you know, Mark MSX's famous pinball equation, it's sort of like trying to play pinball and keeping track of a field. If the uh, play field was a 75-inch TV, you'd just be going, "Where the heck did the ball go?" So, right. It, it, I just, <clears throat> I, I need to have a space where I can monitor everything at any given time. So, but that said, I. Don't don't have a problem with paying with pad and playing with arcade stick is certainly nice, but it would require some adjustment period there. And so I, I adjustment and investment too. I probably have to s- sell one of my Donkey Kong uh, NFTs. So <laughs> I'm just gonna have to hold off. Unfortunate. But I I. 
no matter how you play on there with the 360 pad or with the Xbox One controller or, you know, hey, even if you're playing with hands-free controller or, you know, you, for some reason you're playing in VR, it's there's no wrong way to play a STG. Right. And <laughs> with the, the amount of, the way the buttons are set up on here, I think you... Anyone would have a pretty easy time controlling it. It's not like, you know, it's it's your standard three, well, one two combo, but well, you know, your standard jamma setup of one two three buttons. So it's not like you you have to do any type of uh, f- finger twister here in order to pull off special moves or combos or whatever have you. Right. I mean, if we use fighting game terms, this would be, what, a quarter circle? Quarter circle one, yeah. So, um... The the controls are nice. I... It's got an old man rambling here now. Um... Made me lose my train of thought. It's okay. I get to ramble all the time. Uh, I mine just sounds smart, so people call it a comprehensive uh, explanation of the scoring instead of oh, like just rambling. There we go. Uh, I know, yeah, get me a, get me a couple of drinks, and you'll certainly get some unhinged rambling. Um, no, I realistically play with what feels comfortable to you. Yeah, I don't think that there's anything in here that requires it. And here, this is not uh, Turbo Outrun or Outrun where, you know, having a, a wheel is going to make that all that difference on there. Or it's not going to be like someone trying to uh, beat Soul Calibur with the Dreamcast fishing controller. <laughs> now that's a classic. So, so yeah, I, I think that play with what feels comfortable to you, even if it's a fishing controller. Yeah, go big the cat style, baby. Oh, jeez, he's in the latest Sonic game. I swear that I think they spent half the budget on the uh, models for that fishing mini game. Uh. Foggy. Alrighty. Well, let's uh, let's recap the scores for the month. Rena, of course, took the top spot with a total score on normal of 171,855,873 points. Hey, babes. Uh, I actually came in second with uh, 86,128,231. And funny enough, this was not a clear, but it ended up being my highest score. Uh, Macho. Despite the score mentioned earlier, that was on uh, November 1st. So the last score posted during the month was 73,372,238. BB came in at 62,412,734. And Orc Commander uh, put up a score of 59,711,000. 617. And I think the only person to submit a Mega Black Label score during the month was Blur STG. 
who put up 180,642,277 points. Man, this is just another reason to play Mega Black Label. <laughs> yeah. So, final thoughts. Um, for myself, I was pleasantly surprised that, as I mentioned before, a game that, upon initially playing it, I thought I might be in over my head, ended up being my first legitimate cave clear that wasn't a novice mode or M2 super easy mode like I had with Ketsui or Ketsui Destiny or Mushi Novice. Now, of course, because of the variable rank control, I was able to go in and just do uh, the different levels so that I could try and tailor the difficulty somewhat, but I ended up getting a clear. And that feels pretty good to finally say that I have cleared a cave game, even if um, I had to approach it in a different manner. Having said that, there's a lot going on here. You can, you can really get a lot out of this game by, e even just in, in survival play, because there are multiple characters, and you have to approach each of them differently. So, if all you're interested in is survival play, there's still a lot here. Now, of course, if you're into score, there's a ton that you can do with this game, um, and you can really invest a lot of time into it. One of the things that um, was interesting after watching um, Blur STG on stream, he was messing around with the DLC mode, and one of the characters in particular, Plumeria, her familiar works completely different than the other characters in the game. Most of the other characters, or all the other characters, your familiar follows you around, and then Sometimes the movement will change depending on whether it moves with you during normal movement or whether the familiar changes position when you're in focus, like with Rosa. With Plumeria, um, your familiar locks in place when you go into uh, focus. And her focus, instead of firing forward, does this odd thing where it fires up and down, sort of at an angle. And so there's huge potential there to potentially abuse that capability of her familiar uh, in terms of either scoring or survival play. Um... And it just goes to show that there's so much going on with this game that if you wanted a, a cave shoot-em-up that gives you flexibility and offers you a lot of different ways to approach it and different ways to really look at the game and 
get stuff out of it, I think this might be one of the games that has the most content for players to really dig into. Um, you don't necessarily have to, but it's there if you want it. So I definitely applaud Cave for um, for going the extra mile in terms of giving you a lot of choice with the game. And certainly it's one that I enjoyed playing. And while I don't know how much I would want to dig into Mega Black Label or 1.1, I could see potentially setting up a custom control scheme for 1.1 um, so that I could try that uh, right stick uh, free familiar movement technique because I could see that being really interesting to give you a lot of flexibility in terms of um, especially with the death mode bullets being able to really drill down and get granular in terms of clearing those and um, frankly helping you to uh, play a lot more aggressively while also in some ways playing more safely if that makes sense so I could see myself putting more time into this to explore some of those other modes um, uh, you know just to really figure out how to approach them so I think it's interesting to me that this is the game that initially debuted Cave in North America. But in a lot of ways, I think it was a smart choice because of the wider audience that it might have been able to reach. Plus, as I said, just all the modes and the content the game has to offer. There's just a lot there, and I think it's a pretty... Pretty good effort overall. Yeah, I would have to echo those statements. I think that Death Smiles was the right choice to bring over as a introductionary or as a gateway, despite the uh, interesting marketing. Uh, <laughs> I think that it. I mean, had K brought over something such as, let's say, Ketsui, or brought over, I don't know, Kai Ketana is a little bit but brought over Mushihime, I think it would have been sent as maybe a little bit too Japanese. Granted, we had uh, uh, stuff like Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon and all that stuff was pretty well known by this point, and that had been taken off, but the. I, I still think it would have fallen under sort of what killed the Legend of the Mystical Ninja. I mean, they t tried it for, what, three times at least? And once on the Super Nintendo and then twice on the N64 before Konami just sort of buried the series. It, it just was deemed too, maybe too Eastern, too weird for 
audiences. So you had to be really careful in the way that it was brought over. And to their credit, I know at least a couple people who ended up buying this game because they were curious about shmups. And these were people who played Madden and played you know every Call of Duty every year. So you know, it's quite surprising what they were able to do. I personally, this is a game that I've always been on my radar, but I really haven't or didn't spend any time with and was pleasantly surprised when I tried the City Connection ports and <clears throat> I mean, I had seen Ed stream it and thought, well, this game's got a cow, it's got to have at least something interesting in it, so <laughs> I said, but I was really surprised when I sat down and spent some time to see the death that was there, even just doing a, uh, <clears throat> a survival run and feeling that it was, as you put it, Guru, more manageable than I initially thought it might be. I believe it is, as Aqua said, a great gateway STG to get people interested in the genre because it's pretty unassuming, but once you start scratching underneath that surface you find a heck of a lot of stuff to come back for uh, as you heard from the earlier dissertation on <clears throat> scoring it's a lot to take in and a lot to <clears throat> deal with if you want to become an expert in. and I think those are the hallmarks of a great shmup you know, something that is easy enough for beginners to pick, and pick up and play and for people to credit feed through but when you get to trying to master it it's quite difficult and for, I guess for the set sort of the reasons why I like the R-Type 1 and R-Type 2 you know they, they may may bust my ch- chestnuts every single time but I slowly but surely get better at them and recognize the patterns and, and can pull off stuff I would have thought impossible so it's definitely something that now it's out on Steam and it's out on PS4 and Switch. For those of you who are think you know, this is an impenetrable wall, definitely give this a try. As you might be surprised that you are uh, a Don Maku player after all. Well said. What about you, Rita? Oh, yeah. Uh, I switched to Desmos too. Alright, uh, jaded old, uh, player, uh, meme thoughts aside, though, uh, I, I roast this game out of love for it. I, I make fun of this game and tell you it's horrible because it's one of my favorite games of all time. It really is a great game. Uh, I roast it because I have spent years playing it, and I have had many years for many of these thoughts to simmer in my brain. And all the small things stop feeling like small things when you've seen them 478 times. Uh, but in all earnesty, it really is a fantastic cave shmup. One of the best, of course. Uh, even if my preferences have moved towards 2x. They really have. I, I actually wasn't joking. I have moved to 2x. I think it's I think it's a lot better. I think it's a little more interesting. And a little more my speed. But uh, the, Death Smiles 1 is 
perfectly fine and fantastic uh, on all levels, basically. It's great. It's wonderful. And I really do think the game's strong suit really is just the experience. If, if I'm gonna be real, uh, the scoring is great, of course. But you can kind of find that in every Cave game, you know? If you want the, like, the best scoring out there, I mean, with Cave, uh, I mean, you throw a dart at a dartboard and you'd be lucky if you found a game that was boring, you know? So, eh, we're not at shortage for games with these deep, intricate scoring systems. There, there, there is Diamond Dozen. Uh, and I really do think that uh, beneath all the gameplay and mechanics, the raw experience of Death Smiles, uh, whether it be casual or not so much, is really what makes it that wonderful package that really sells well. It's not your stereotypical... Uh, you know, it's not your it's not your stereotypical shooter. You got the cool girls, you got the gothic aesthetic, you got the different gameplay. It's a lot more approachable, and it feels a lot more complete as a package, as a thematic trois de uh, than a lot of uh, K's repertoire. As much as I like Dodonpachi, it's great. It really is, but that's a kind of game where you're kind of really there for the mechanics and not a whole lot much else. The combo system is what carries that game because it's so well executed and all the level design is so good. And it's it's such a good game. And oh, oh, it's brilliant. But I don't really think about, you know, the world of Dodonpachi all that much. I make fun of Longhina a lot. He's a very funny guy. But that's about it. It's just kind of... It's a bunch of cool machines. I mean, they're cool machines. Or like Ketsui. Do you know the story to Ketsui? No, you don't. You don't even care about the, the story to Ketsui. Nobody does. It's actually really interesting. It's about World War Three and about global warming. It's super interesting story. You don't care about it. Because it kind of just looks like a shmup. And that's fine. Because what carries Ketsui is the wonderful gameplay. And it, oh, it's so tight. And it's so delicious. And it's so raw, and it's it's really nice, and playing it feels like you're really throwing yourself in there. And that's Katsui's thing, and that's cool. But Death Smile's thing, well, I don't know, it's a little more wishy-washy on the gameplay side. It's a little weirder, It's a, it's got a little bit of strangeness going on, it's got a little bit of vagueness. It's not super duper airtight. Uh, there's a little, there's a little, there's some quirks in there that'll catch you off guard and some, uh, potentially weird decisions. But instead of all being in service of the tightest game that Cave can ever make, because that's, that's all they do, they should make the tightest games in the world. Instead, for Death Smiles, it came in service of the, the experience of the gothic horror of all of that wonderful stuff. Instead, of just that raw gameplay. And I feel like that's what makes it so appealing to people and why it's so fun and looks so interesting off the bat. I mean, if you're walking past the arcade, what looks more interesting, Ketsui, which on the surface just kind of looks like a shmup, or Death Smiles over here with the cool aesthetics, the weird monsters, the, the strange little story it's got going on, and the, the whole thing. It's got its vibes, dare I say, if I may. 
I feel like that's a lot more interesting of a thing to go for with the shmup that you don't really see nowadays. Because a lot of it's so focused on making that gameplay so tight that we kind of forget about everything else. Uh, even with stuff like Mushi, which I think it's pretty close to capturing that vibe, even then, I never find myself thinking about Mushi as anything other than a technical experience. I get into Mushi and I think, oh I'm ready to do some super tapping, and oh I'm ready to make number go big, and oh I've got my route set up. When I boot up Death Smiles, I'm ready to experience Death Smiles, whatever that may look like on that day, whether I'm just playing casually or playing for score, I'm going there for Death Smiles. Not Death Smiles mechanics, not the characters, not because number go big, I'm there because I like Death Smiles. And I feel like that's an interesting feeling that I don't get from a lot of shmups that aren't Tohu. Sorry. <laughs> Alright. Well, what do we have coming up next? Am I the only one who, when he hears the word of the uh, end boss jitterbug there, I got wham stuck in my head? <laughs> no, you are not. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up next is Fire Shot, yes. right? There's no Same, same, baby. same, right? Yep. Fire Shark or Same 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 for November. Yep. Which we are already deep into since we're recording this a bit late. Yep. And the December's game is one that you brought to my attention, Addicted. <laughs> this one has been featured on... I mean, this one has been featured a couple different places. It's just one of these silly silly little games, but it, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm forward to it. It's what if the um, <clears throat> Oregon Trail just became a straight-up action game or straight-up run-and-gun with the wagon taking different forms and different things happening there. It's just meant to be dumb fun and I think that in the month of December when everyone's stressing out you need a little dumb fun yeah so super amazing wagon adventure yep there's a Mike Matei and uh, James Ralph uh, playthrough of this where they played for about 30 minutes or so before trying to figure out what the heck this is like yeah so something a little more lighter fair for December while uh, everybody is busy doing Christmas shopping and family holiday get-togethers and that. You know, as we all get together to uh, die of dysentery. <laughs> yeah! Dysentery! And then, uh, as we mentioned, we have a new... Shmup of the year for 2023, which will be Gunvane. I'm looking forward to uh, <coughs> setting up the. I think it even has the Bama uh, sound effect in there. Oh, nice. so, I mean, you hyped it up for me, so now I'm excited. So, everyone get ready to set up the bomb for 2023. Sounds good. All right. And we'd also like to thank everybody who has helped with us this year. It's still amazing that we are, what is it, four years on now? Four years, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting close to five here. Four years of people listening to us blather on. So thank you very much for uh, listening to us and uh, supporting us. We appreciate that we're not yelling out in the void and that we have people who are, are excited about 
trying out different STGs or shmups with us and uh, continuing to do so for year upon year. I'd like to thank Ed of Studio Mutt Prints for the logo as well as the uh, idea to get the shirt in orange. I think that was a really good idea. <laughs> and we have I'd like to thank Kogosu for the intro and outro music. You know, a very good version of Gallantry. I'd like to thank everyone on the RF Generation Playcast and Collector Cast, uh, as well as Dark Souls Cast. And I'd like to thank Metafro for streaming and uh, powering his uh, Twitch streams with the power of Parrot Dog. Yeah, well, she's been a little less parody the uh, the last couple of streams, but. Um, She's, she's definitely uh, definitely still at it. <laughs> maybe wouldn't want it any other way. Nope. Maybe, you know what? Maybe you can get one of those hands-free controllers for the Xbox. You could hook up to your dog, and the dog can play a ship too. That would make for an interesting. I mean, if a fish can play Pokemon, it might be worth trying. Uh, <laughs> player two. I've watched dumber stuff on Twitch. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've watched dumber stuff on Twitch. I have to watch my own stream back. <laughs> All right. Um, anything that you want to plug, Rena? Me? Well, you can find me on my own Twitch channel, unfortunately. I'm infecting the masses with my thoughts outside of this podcast. Very unfortunate, I know. Uh, you can find me at Bunny is Bun Rena. Uh, I also make chiptune. I'm a chiptune artist. You can find me under Bodaciously Kamek at uh, on my Bandcamp, and I make some pretty rockin' tunes. I stay accurate to the uh, to the Game Boy uh, sound chip. We love it over there. I'm, I might be releasing some music over December now that I'm finally not dealing with a lot of college. Oh, cool. Very fun. I know, right? Super fun. Outside of that, uh, nope, I'm just kind of chilling. I just kind of do my own thing, and, uh, that's about it. I don't have a lot of socials because I, I prefer to rot my brain with shoot 'em ups. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. Well, with that, I will say thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.